get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, saver retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hi, I'm Dan for Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers, here to share the easiest way to buy tires. Come to Dobbs. With the best tire brands and the biggest inventory, you'll get your tires the same day at the lowest price, guaranteed. Next time you need tires, get into Dobbs. And the Blues catch a break. That puck was free on a quick whistle. The referee's going to say, no, you jammed it out of his glove, and that's why he blew the whistle. But Billy Huso has been outstanding in the third period. Another breakaway. Lomberg in. Shot save. Huso. He's made two breakaway saves in the third period. Weaves it in on Bobrovsky. Shoots, and it's saved. And the Florida Panthers beat the Blues 2-1 in the shootout in the final tonight. It's a 4-3 Florida Panthers win. Billy Huso deserved better in that one tonight. Hey, welcome in on a Monday morning with Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. That's what it sounded like on Saturday as the Blues get a point. A point. No, we don't. Down ce- in Florida against the Panthers. Points. They we have don't? now no. received at least a point. Points. In four of their last five games, they're on a roll, uh, Alex uh, Ferrario. What'd you think of it? They lost in a skills competition, boys. You're right. We should have ties in hockey again. Yeah, probably. Shootouts are a joke. No, I, I thought Curb said it best. Huso deserved better in that. I mean, someone had the audacity to tweet me during postgame in that one. Sorry. And they bad. sent me a deserve to win meter where the Blues had a 6.8% and said the Blues got gassed for 60 minutes. Kind of. I, I didn't think it was that. I thought they they got outplayed overall in that game, but and I didn't they think... were outshot fifty-one to twenty-five. Understandable, but you're taking on a team that was like top three in shots on goal per game. Like that's what the Florida Panthers do, and uh, again, penalties didn't help you. Again, I didn't think the Blues got outplayed that entire game. I thought there were spurts where the Blues were the better team. It's just Florida overall. They just peppered the goaltender. They got in, they utilized their speed, and they took shots. Yeah, penalties really took a hit in that one. I, I, What a joke that penalty was late in the game on Tory Krug. And I felt like that sucked the momentum away from the Blues. But look, defensively, you made mistakes. It has been the one thing for the St. Louis Blues team that we've seen over and over and over since the beginning of November. They'll play very solid hockey. They'll be close. They'll be either tied or up or down a goal in the third period. But it's one mistake in the neutral zone that turns into them losing. And this one, there were a couple of mistakes that led to these three goals for Florida. But look, the bright spot, if you're going to take, I had a couple bright spots. One, Logan Brown's the real deal. Logan Brown deserves a lot more ice time. And two, Ville Husso looks to be a dependable goaltender for this Blues team that so many doubted. That's a really big thing. 
Like, I, I don't want to overlook what we saw on Saturday because Ville Husso so far this year has been a legit number two goalie. Like, there is no goalie controversy. I know Tanner's going to try to drum one up. There's not one. Ville Husso is your number two. Jordan Bennington is your number one. Why okay. Husso should be the I can promise you that for the next two weeks, there will be no T-bone three. <laughs> cruel. I can promise you that. That's cruel. <laughs> he is not Mario your number one. Every day. I'm but... Down. He's a really solid number two goalie. And Alex, that was a big thing that I had a question about coming into this year. I just didn't know what you were realistically going to be able to get out of him because, yeah, there are typically injuries or COVID issues or whatever it might be that happened to your number one goal. And you're, that number two guy is going to have to step up at some point. And even if there weren't, he's still going to play 25-ish percent of the games. So for him to be this caliber of a goaltender, that's huge for the Blues. You mentioned the giveaways, though. It's becoming way too common that you go into a game and you know the Blues are going to have three, four, maybe five giveaways in their own end that lead to a really good chance by the opposition. Doesn't always lead to a goal, but more often than not, it leads to one of those high danger shots that we talk so much about. And that's been hugely problematic. And it's been way too often that it is one of Marco Scandella or Colton Pareko. And those guys were supposed to be coming into the season your legit shutdown defenders. Alex, I just haven't seen it yet, man. We've talked a lot about the pairings for Pareko. And maybe some of this is as simple as he doesn't have a guy with him that he trusts right now. So he's trying to do too much. I could listen to that explanation. But at a certain point, he's just got to play better. Like if they're not going to get legit number one defenseman minutes out of Colton Pareko. And by the way, he played 26 minutes on yeah, Saturday. They're getting the minutes. They're just not getting the play the with the but minutes. But I'm saying quality performance in those minutes. I I don't think that this team's going to be able to reach its pinnacle until they get that from him. No, they're not. I mean, there's no, there's no trying to tiptoe around this. Like Colton Pareko has not been the quote unquote alpha dog that Doug Armstrong talked about when they signed him to that contract extension. But look at the defenseman minutes in that game. And mind you, you played with seven defensemen in a game that went to a shootout, which means you had to play five minutes of overtime, 11 minutes and 38 seconds from Scott Perunovich, 12 minutes and 48 seconds from Scott, uh, uh, Jake Wallman, uh, 14 minutes and 51 seconds from Nico Mikola. 16 minutes and 59 seconds from Marco Scandella, 1939 from Bortuzzo. Guys, they had two defensemen that played over 20 minutes. You can't have that in a game where you go to a shootout. You have to have multiple guys playing at least 20 minutes for you. Your top four should be playing 20 minutes at the minimum. So as much as we look at Colton Pareko, and yes, Colton Pareko needs to be better. When your guy's playing 26 minutes and six seconds of ice time, and the next step down after the player who plays over 20 is 1939 and Robert Bortuzzo, who's a sixth defenseman. Yeah, but this was a one-off. I understand it was a one-off, but go back to other games also. There's been games where... He's been right around 22 to 23 for most of the season. Pareko? Yeah. I'm talking about the guys below him. I'm talking about the guys where you're not getting more ice time out of them. The problem is the Blues are shortening the bench late in games where you're relying on two guys. And like it or not, these guys are in great shape. They're in great condition. They can skate this. But if you're doing every single game where Colton Pareko is playing the most minutes and the next step down is about five minutes less average... That's a problem, in my opinion. I mean, maybe, but I, I don't really care what the second guy is as long as Colton Pareko. Like, Saturday, yeah, 26 minutes is a ton of ice time for anybody, much less for Colton Pareko. I mean, most of the season, he's been in that 23-ish minute range. 
and that's fine. Like that, that's where you expect him to be if that, he's that alpha number one defenseman that they've talked about. The problem has been the quality of those minutes. Yeah, it's the quality. But for me, like you have to get quality minutes from other guys as well, so you can take some of those minutes off of. But Colton I'm not Pareko. expecting those other guys to play up to that caliber. Like I know you're not go- expecting Tory Krug to. Sure, but he played 21 minutes on Saturday. I mean, th- th- that wasn't a problem for me. That They don't have anybody else that I can count well, on. Well, that's the problem. And if you want to find out what the main problem for this Blues team right now is, they have one guy who can be a number one, and then the rest are number fives and sixes. And the guy that can be the number one isn't playing like a number one right now. Well, like, the guy I, that- I, I think it's a much bigger issue that Pareko is not performing at a number one level than it is that Fortuzo, Mikola, Perunovic, Scandella, and Wallman are not legitimately great options. And yet, maybe these guys can get to that. And look, I mean, both of those guys have been in and out of the lineup for a majority of their NHL career. This is the first time they've been everyday defensemen, so it's going to take some transitioning. I think if you've learned anything from these last couple of games, it's one, how important Justin Falk is to this team. Because Justin Falk takes the load off of Colton Pareko to where he's not relied upon. A great example, BK, of what the Blues don't have is what you saw in the Tampa Bay Lightning game. The last time that they played Tampa, here's what the ice time was. 22 minutes and 42 seconds for Ryan McDonough, 21 minutes and 8 seconds for Victor Hedman, 2017 for Chernak, and 1911 for Sergachev. That's your top four defensemen. Look how evenly that ice time is dispersed. Even when they're healthy, the Blues are going down to Pareko and Falk when they shorten the bench. And in my opinion, you got to have more guys to help than just those two. Yeah. Um, but I think that's a personnel issue more so than it is like, I, I'm not expecting anybody that is currently on the roster to be what you just mentioned, a 20 minute um, defenseman outside of the three that we know are going to be there. And that's, it gets back to the conversation that we've had all year. Where do you find that guy? Is it currently on, on the roster? It seems like the answer to that is probably no. And so now they've got to be able to go out to the market to find somebody. Speaking of one of those defensemen, though, that was the negative of of what happened on Saturday. They did get a point out of it, which you got to give them credit where it's due. It was a hard-fought point. And at the end of that game, Alex, it was one of the best minute 16 stretches that I've ever seen in a hockey game. Here's what it sounded like on the Blues Radio Network. Still without a stick is Bortuzzo. Ten seconds to play. Huberto fans on it. O'Reilly gets to the puck. Ryan O'Reilly's going to clear it out. And what a spectacular penalty kill by the Blues in overtime to force the shootout. Oh, man. Robert Bortuzzo getting pats galore as he just killed a minute 40 of that penalty without a hockey stick. You know, I've been critical of of your guy, Robert Bortuzzo, over the years. That was amazing. Luke Korak tweeted this out. He was on the ice for the final minute and 16 seconds against that PK. He went down to the ice 13 times to block a pass, block a shot, break up a play, anything to try to prevent a goal with no stick. I've I've never seen anything quite like it. Maybe there have been other plays that are identical to what he did on Saturday. I haven't personally seen it. That was amazing to watch. And I, I went back and watched it over and over and over again because I just I couldn't believe what I had seen. And then for him to cap it all off with the hit right at the end to make sure that the guy that was at the net, by the way, the issue that we've been talking about all season long, the guy that was at the net, he knocked him off of his stick and he was able to get him out of the crease and you find a way to make it through overtime to get to what ended up not going the Blues way, but to get to the shootout. That was amazing. It was. And that's exactly what Robert Portuzo is. And 
don't get me wrong. Robert Portuzo is not a top four defenseman. I don't think he ever will be a top four defenseman. But he is the perfect example of a guy that you want on your third pair. A guy who is going to play decent minutes for you at even strength. But when it comes to the penalty kill, he's going to be the one you rely upon. And, and Craig Berube has talked about this in the past. And I think we talked with Curbs about this last week. The Blues are at the bottom of the National Hockey League in block shots. Mm -hmm. And I I loved the quote from Craig Berube a couple of weeks ago. He said, you can make mistakes on your own end in games, but to make up for the mistakes, you have to sacrifice something. And Robert Bortuzzo proved what you need to sacrifice. Blocked shots result in momentum shifts. And for me, he was stuck out on the ice with that entire PK unit. He tried to get off at one point. Tried to get off. Tampa did, or Florida did a great job of making sure that they didn't allow it. But when you're in, you're in your last resort, those are the types of guys you want on your team. The ones that just throw their body out there on the line. And Bortuzzo has always been that. And frankly, you, you, you would imagine that some of the players watching what Bortuzzo did take that and say, we need to do more. It's just unfortunate that that penalty kill was in overtime that went into a shootout yeah. where the team can't do anything about it. And that's what's frustrating is you end up not being able to capitalize on it. But I... That that is why he's beloved by his teammates. That that minute and sixteen seconds, you can just put that into the lore. That is why all of the Blues players, coaches, the front office. That's why they love Robert Bortuzzo. That's why he plays as much as he does. If you're frustrated by him, I, trust me, I've been there with you at times in the past. What we saw last night, and I'll keep that in the back of my mind as best I can next time that he's out there on the ice for a goal that goes up against him. Uh, that that was amazing, and that's that's what they miss when he's not out there. So credit to Robert Bortuzzo. Credit to the Blues for coming away with a point, at least in that game, back in action tomorrow night, once again against the Panthers, this time at home. Pre-game, pre-game coverage, excuse me, tomorrow night with Alex Ferrario at 6 o'clock. We'll You'll be listening, all. right? Now, nah, man. We get off the air tomorrow at 2. What do you mean we get off the air tomorrow too? When we started on the air at 11, you weren't even here. That's fair. <laughs> tomorrow at 2, though, yeah, when I am off the air. shirt off, he's just going to have a swimsuit underneath, and Gross. he's going to be on his way out. You will not hear from me for two weeks. Although it will be 70 degrees in the next couple of days, so yeah. Yeah, what the hell? Way, way to go, man. We couldn't Great do this pick. on Saturday? Great. It's no, supposed- Saturday's supposed to rain. This is this is oh, the most BKO God. of all BKOs You're in the BKO history of the BKO. Way. Is this bigger than BKOing an airline? Thursday, yeah. 63 degrees and sunny. Yeah. Friday, 72 degrees. Oh, I'm opening my it pool. It is mid-December. Oh, I'm opening my pool. Yeah. Pool party, T-Bone, you headed? Saturday, yeah, man. 55 degrees and raining. That's fine. 55 <laughs> Sunday, degrees. Sunday, 55 and sunny. Monday, 59 and sunny. Tuesday, 57 sunny. Wednesday, 63 well, hey, and sunny. This is the most important <laughs> question. This is the more important question. I can't wait. What's the, the weather supposed to be like on your honeymoon? Yeah, I was going to say, I can't oh, wait till it's 80 degrees and the entire time. I hope, it, I hope it's like 40 and raining in Putacana, and I hope here it's 80 and sunny. Well, I just read it. It's supposed to be 65 to 70 degrees oh every day God. next week, early in the, in the week. Hashtag BKO the weather. The six days around my wedding, God, 60 and sunny. And the then when day he comes of my home, wedding, when 55 his, and rainy. When his plane ain't lands. Well, no, because all the dark clouds will come over. It's going to be 20 yeah. degrees and it's going to be like ice storm. I can't wait. The only thing that I just can't have, please don't break down any of the airlines. I can't do it again. I can't. This is international flights. Like, I. Well, you do BKO. Does, please knock does, on Kara wood. Know this? Say your prayers. Whatever you can do to fight against the BKO. If you can do that for me this weekend, it would be greatly appreciated. Does Kara know about the BKO on an airplane? Oh, Kara lives with me, man. That's She's true. lived with me for you BKO seven years everything. at this point.
Wasn't she with him when that happened or no? No, it was just him, wasn't it? Just you? No, she was with me. Oh, never mind. So Kara knows. She was thrilled. It's 11, it's 11 16. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. In 15 minutes, the college football playoff committee, in my opinion, they got it right. Now it's a matter of what these matchups look like. We'll talk about that coming up in 15 minutes. But next, by the way, I don't think Tanner agrees with my assessment, so he'll explain why coming up at 11 30. But next. The Blues need more from these two players. We just talked a lot about Colton Pareko. There are two others that really need to start giving them more production. We'll tell you who they are next on 101 ESPN. Giving you the picture. The real big St. Louis sports picture. It's BK and Ferrario. Live from the Car Shield Studio on 101 ESPN. We need guys to step up, you know, with COVID and injuries. So certain guys did, and but again, uh, we're we got to get more out of uh, more out of some guys. Uh, not you know that we need more from them. They definitely need more from a few guys in particular. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. That was Craig Berube after the game on Saturday. Blues lose in the shootout, but they do get a point nonetheless. Alex, we talked about Colton Pareko. I think they need more out of him right now. He is a minus 11, and I know plus minus is not the perfect stat by any stretch. But when you're minus 11 over your last 14 games, and you've only been a plus on the ice in one game over the last month, I do think that is relatively indicative of the way that you've been playing. Pareko's just got to be better. And we talked a lot about that in the opening segment. There are two other guys that I think they need more from. And one of them I feel a little uncomfortable criticizing. And I don't want this to be sound, to sound like a critique. Pavel Buchnevich. <laughs> no, he's been very good. It, it's If this guy isn't playing at his potential, the Blues are going to struggle. And that's Braden Chen. Now, he's coming back from the injury. And... I don't know what he's playing at right now, but it seems pretty clear he's not at 100%. I respect the fact that he's battling through this and that it, this, I want to say again, is not a shot at Braden Shin by any stretch. He's my favorite player on their team, but they need more out of him. And until they get it, they're not going to be able to be at their peak offensively. He has zero points since his return. He has now played in eight games since the first of November. And in those eight games, he has a total of 10 shots. He just isn't all that um, influential right now in their offensive game. His one goal since his return, Alex, it came on the power play. Zero assists. He has zero five-on-five points since returning to the ice, and he's a minus three on the ice in that stretch. I'm not being critical of Braden Shin. They need him at 100% is really what I'm saying here, and I just don't know when they're going to be able to get that version of Shin back. Yeah, it's going to take time. I mean, look, he missed 20 days. I mean, he was his last game was November 4th where he was already dealing with a, uh, a hand, arm injury, whatever it was, where he fell hard into the boards against the Blackhawks, and then he came back. And remember, the one thing with Braden Shen is, and I'm with you, you do need, do need more from him, BK, but... I think the first five games that he returned, he was on the wing. And we've talked an awful lot about how Braden Shen is not effective as a winger. He's effective as a centerman. And I don't know if it was the Tampa Bay game on December 2nd or if it was just this past Saturday when they transitioned him back to the center position. That's the natural position for him. But he even talked about how, you know, when you're out for that long, one, you're not being able to skate with a team. And two, you're not being able to actually practice. And think about when he came back, I think there was a stretch of maybe one, like one 
where they had consecutive days off where they were able to get a practice in. So he's one that I'm, I'm with you. You need more from him. Look at what he was in the first six games of the season. He had five points in six games. Like, that's impressive. That's what you want from Braden mm-hmm. Shen. But for him... His one point since then. Yeah. I'm giving him a little bit more leeway because of the injury he was dealing 100%. with. And I'm also because now you got him back to the center position where he's normally natural at. Yeah, he, he gets leeway. The, the problem for the Blues is I just don't know when he's going to be at 100%. And, and that's what stinks, man. Is like, it takes time. You, you need him to be one of your leading point producers. And so far this year, he has six points on the season. Three goals, three assists. That's just not enough from Braden Shin. You need more. But it's really hard to be critical of a guy who... He might not even be even close to 100% right now. We just don't know. Well, and he's not too. Remember, he said before it was the Tampa game, they asked him how he was feeling. He said, I'm still dealing with this injury. But he said, I'm not telling you where it is because you obviously don't want the scouting report on that. And so I, I just don't know when that's going to change or if, frankly, it's going to change. And the, the concern is, is this something like what we've seen from Vladdy in the past where it just takes away some of your effectiveness as an offensive player he still helps him in other areas, but man, not having Braden Shin at his peak is really, it puts more pressure on the other top players on this roster to be able to contribute offensively. And that's where we get to the big one. Vladimir Tarasenko has got to be better. Mm-hmm. Zero goals in his last 10 games, zero shots on goal on Saturday. It was the first time that's happened for him this season. And it's been part of a greater trend for Vladdy. Eight shots in his last five games. Alex, he got off to a torrid start to the season. He was great early on. Still had some defensive lapses. There were still some moments where some of his passes weren't super crisp, but he more than made up for that with what he was producing offensively with his goal-scoring production. That has gone away. And if you're not getting the goal-scoring out of Vladdy, it's very hard to put him out on the ice consistently because that's what he's out there to do. And on Saturday, we saw his ice time on the ice go way down. It was one of the lowest that it's been all year, if not the lowest that it's been all season long. They have got to get him going. If you're not going to get Braden Shin at 100%, well, then Vladimir Tarasenko damn well better be closer to 100%. Yeah, think about it. I mean, you take those two out of your lineup where they're not up to the level that you need them to be at. And David Perron right now is not in David the, Perron, there. you also don't have Tyler Bozak, who's very impactful. I mean, you're skating with 11 forwards right now. And according to JR practice, they didn't have Thomas or Tarasenko on the ice. So... Like with when you have eleven forwards and you don't have those guys in the lineup or playing to their potential, you're playing with eight guys, and it's no coincidence. You saw his ice time drop. You saw Logan Brown's ice time go up. Although he didn't play more than Vladdy, you saw more ice time for Logan Brown. But the one that really got me was in the shootout, and I know it's a skills competition, but Vladdy always shoots second, mm-hmm. and they went with Logan Brown there, and he scores the goal, and. Craig Berube wasn't harsh kind of holding back his words after the game on why that, that ice time went down on Vladimir Tarasenko. Well, he's not generating any offense right now. Um, you know, he's got to, he's got to, he's got to get on the inside more, get to the net more, things like that. So, you know, we'll talk to him about it. I'm not saying it's the same thing, but let's go back to last season when he returned and he wasn't playing the power forward style. Craig Berube made comments like that, needs to get to the net more, need more from him. Vladdy got upset. Vladdy requested the trade. In the offseason, that's where we were at. And in that second period, you could see after a shift, Vladdy was kind of barking at Craig Berube on the bench. Now, maybe it was just off of a play. I'm not sure. Vladdy was a minus two in that game, and the first two goals that were scored, he was on the ice for, and he missed his... He missed his um, his job on the ice in terms of defending the player, the player that scores the goal both times. 
at the forward position, that was the first time, like you mentioned, BK, he doesn't get shots off, but he's still getting shots up until that point against the Florida Panthers. Defensively is the problem, because if you go back through all of these games where he has scored goals, I'll go all the way back to November 11th, BK, in the midst of him scoring goals and picking up points. He had four games where he wasn't a minus, and three of those four where he was a, a neutral and a plus minus. So you're not getting the defensive side from Vladimir Tarasenko with Craig Berube takes to heart, which is part of the reason why I think you're not seeing him on the ice as much. Yeah, I I mean, I think the shootout was a clear punishment. That That's what that was. It was, hey, you didn't perform well enough today. You didn't earn it. And this guy did, who got a goal, yeah. created offense. L- Logan Brown was out here. He played the way we wanted him to. He's going to go take your shot. Be better, Vladdy. If you are better during the regulation period of the game, you'll get your opportunities in the shootout in the future. And on Saturday, he was not good enough. So they decided to go with Logan Brown instead. It's a clear message that's being sent by Craig Berube. We'll see if it works. There have been times in the past where it has, where that tough love gets through to Vladimir Tarasenko, and he ends up coming out on the other side, and it looks like roses. But there have been other times where that has not been the case, and it goes the opposite way, and he shuts down for a period of time. So I'll be interested to see how he responds on, on Tuesday night's game against the Panthers because they need him to be better. And by the way, this should be the style of hockey that he really thrives in. Going up against the Panthers that are a, a up-and-down type of a team, that should be the game where Vladimir Tarasenko plays well. Same thing was true for Tampa. But for whatever reason, it just hasn't been that way. Detroit plays the same way. You've got some opportunities here for Vladimir Tarasenko to get things back on track, but they need it. They, they need it right now because they're getting nothing out of him over the last 10 games or so. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. We'll get to questions and answers in 15 minutes, but next... Tanner texted me on Saturday. Are you, are we sure that Georgia deserves to be in the college football playoff? Yeah, we're sure Tanner. We'll talk about it next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to more of it. It's BK and Ferrario live from the car shield studio on 101 ESPN. On Saturday, or Sunday, I guess it would have been yesterday, Tanner shoots us a text. Guys, are we sure Georgia deserves to be in the college football playoff? I was beside myself. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Yes, Tanner, we are absolutely sure that Georgia, the number one team in the country for basically the entire season, who had not lost a game before Saturday and who has allowed, I think it was six points per game going into that one, they are deserving of going to the college football playoff. They're overrated. They didn't play anybody tough in the regular Georgia, season. Georgia did lose to a two-loss Alabama team. Like, uh, okay. Especially when your other options to get that spot also lost on Saturday. Oklahoma State was probably your best other alternative right, to be able Baylor. to get in. Notre Dame did not deserve to get into the college football playoff. And then your other option was Baylor, who was ranked ninth going into this weekend and had a great win against Oklahoma State. Full credit to them. In my opinion, Alex, I think the college football playoff committee got this 100% correct. Not only in the teams that they put into the college football playoff, those four were deserving. Also, I'm so glad that they didn't make the mistake of giving us Alabama versus Georgia in the first round. Georgia probably deserved to be the fourth ranked team going into this weekend or to match up in some way or another with Alabama. I didn't want to see it as a rematch going into the semifinals. I'm glad that they gave us 
Alabama versus Cincinnati in Michigan versus Georgia. I think that was the right way to set this up in the in the semifinals. That was my biggest takeaway, and I felt like those four teams deserved to get in, especially with the outcome. But I just didn't want to see Alabama and Georgia rematch again after we just saw it. Mm-hmm. If you're going to put them in, you need to put it into where they face against each other if they both can advance in the college football championship. That was the most important thing to me. Overall, though, I, I don't know if I really minded the outcome of all of this because once Georgia lost, I felt like it was a wide open slate. So I think they did it right because the biggest thing I'm sure fans wanted was also Alabama versus Georgia not being in that first round. Yeah, I'm with you. I I didn't want to see them play again in what, two, three weeks. I I would rather there be the separation. And the only thing for me would be like, I mean, it doesn't matter because they're going to play each other, but I think Georgia's still number two, not Michigan. But other than that, I mean, to me, this was a real easy kind of selection for the committee because where there's really there were five teams that were viable after the Oklahoma State loss, but did you really have any faith that Notre Dame was going to get in if the they results didn't played out? To get in exactly. So I I I think that this was the easiest route for the college football committee. This may have been the easiest college football playoff selection they've had to make. I think in history, which Unless is saying one, something. Yeah, and and that is really saying something because as much as they hate the non-power fives, and I don't want to hear the motive. Oh, they put a non-power five in. They put a non-power five in because there's nobody else deserving. Otherwise, they would have kicked Cincinnati. To the curb, and honestly, if Cincinnati didn't beat Notre Dame head to head, we're talking about Notre Dame being in the playoff today. So I, I'm not going to give the committee a pass on that. But yeah, this was the easiest one for them to select. And Notre probably Dame's in playoff defense. History. They lost a head coach like what midway through. I mean, yeah, it, 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 talking about over the last week or so, yeah. there's been a lot of turmoil there. Cincinnati got in because nobody else lived up to what they needed to be to get into the college football playoff. Like Cincinnati had to win every game for the last two years. They had to schedule five years in advance, a team that eventually became the number five team in the country in Notre Dame and beat them head to head and also needed every other power five conference in America to not have at least an undefeated team, maybe a one loss team. Like all of those things had to be true. And then eventually, finally, you get the group of five team into the college football playoffs. So this isn't some like landscape change for the group of five. They just had a one off here. I am curious because I think they got this 100% correct, and I'm with you guys. I think that this was the easiest year to be able to do the f- the four teams for the college football playoff. There wasn't really an argument, in my opinion. Would you Do you like this setup better? Or Stuart Mandel of The Athletic put together what the 12-team playoff would be if the proposal was adopted that was uh, was sent out there in June. So it would be Bama as the number one seed because you, the top four seeds have to be their uh, the conference champion or they had to be somebody that won their championship. Bama number one, Michigan two, Cincinnati three, Baylor would have been four. Those four teams get the get the bye into the second round of the postseason. The other teams that would have been matched up in the first round. Are you guys intrigued by these games? Oklahoma State at Ole Miss, Pittsburgh at Georgia. Notre Dame at Utah and Michigan State at Ohio State. Would you rather have that or what we have now? The Michigan State and Ohio State, that's probably the best one out of all of them. Yeah, I'd probably agree with that, actually. Oklahoma State at at Ole Miss would have been a Who was Notre Dame playing? Utah? Utah. That would have been a good game, too. Here's the thing. The matchups don't sound good on paper. Like, what was it? Pitt versus Pittsburgh versus Georgia. Like, oh, come on. Like we, we all know what the outcome of that is going to be. It's going to be a thrash. It's going to win. Here's why I do like that, though. 
Because with 12 teams, and again, the matchups don't sound great on paper, you have the possibility of one upset. And one upset creates pure chaos in college football, which I am all about. The other thing is, after that first round, you would set up for most likely, just if the favorite would have advanced, Bama versus Ole Miss. That would have been a lot of fun to be able to watch once again. Michigan versus probably Ohio State again. Oh, my gosh. Cincinnati versus probably Notre Dame once again. And Baylor versus Georgia, probably, as your as your fourth and final quarterfinal matchup. Those would have been a lot of fun. That sounds really fun and to me. And then after that, you get into the final four. Like, you still get the potential of the matchups that we're watching right now. And also, on top of that, you get those first two rounds that we just discussed. I, I'm not necessarily... I, I argued last week, hey, 12-team playoff, that might be a little too much. This looks awesome. That sounds like a hell <laughs> of a weekend in college football. Against what I just said, because would the first round of... Ohio State versus Michigan have meant as much? No, the stakes wouldn't have been quite as high. But you think Michigan wouldn't want this bye week to avoid playing Michigan State and then be able to play against whoever it is that they get? Absolutely, they would have. So it still would have had some stakes to it. And also, you might have the potential to have a rematch later on to see the bad blood once again on the field. That sounds like a hell of a lot of fun to me. Yeah, I'd be all in on that. And to me, it also guarantees, maybe not guarantees, but it becomes a little easier for at least a non-Power 5 to get in and get a shot. Again, Cincinnati was the one-off this year. They would be in that top four. But in years past, I mean, you're talking about UCF probably getting in and being probably around that 10 to 12 seed range. I mean, that to me is always what you want to chaos. I mean, a team that's a non-Power 5 playing in a playoff game Beating a Power 5 team is the kind of chaos we need. And, hell, guys, if Kansas can beat Texas this year, anything can happen in a college football playoff. You guys remember the Fiesta Bowl between Boise State? You, you actually might not Oklahoma. remember the, the Fiesta Bowl, to be totally yeah, honest. The statue, yeah, statue. the Statue of Liberty play. And then the guy proposed to his girlfriend right afterwards. Um, God, you guys remember way too much about that. That was one of the greatest college football games of my lifetime. Oh, I'm a... Don't remember anything about that. Really? I was probably. I remember statue. There was another trick play too. I think they threw it over the middle and they mm. tossed lateral. Yeah, yeah. It, it oh, was. Man. It was and incredible. Was watching one of the, that game. That and Texas versus USC in terms of like that was big. Bef- that was that before. One I don't remember. That was before college football for Ferrario. <laughs> two thousand five, two thousand six. Yeah, it was, it was way before. Fifteen years ago. We're still into Golden Eye on N sixty four at that time. Probably boys. my favorite bowl game slash college football uh, playoff games that I can remember. Georgia versus Alabama a few years ago with Tua uh, coming in at the end. That that was another one that will live forever in my mind. And then uh, the Deshaun Watson final play to Hunter Renfro. That one will also be remembered for a long time. That one but I remember. The, those those are probably the ones. Th- this would have the potential. The reason why I brought up the Fiesta Bowl. If you have these 12 teams in the postseason, you're probably going to get some of that. You have, the, you have the potential of the next Boise State, whoever that might be. They could get into a 12-team mix like this, and you might be able to see them pull out all of the stops against whoever their opponent is. Like Pittsburgh, for example, that Kenny Pickett quarterback that they have, who I don't know if you saw the play this weekend, mm-hmm. Alex, but he faked the slide and then got back up. Oh, yeah, and people were just, just distraught over that play. I have a feeling they would pull out a few things against Georgia. I don't know what it would look like. They would probably end up getting the beats break or the the breaks beat off of them, but it would be fun for about a quarter or so. Could give us a couple of moments. So yeah, I, I think I'm here for the 12 team playoff, even after last week arguing against it. 
I, I, I'd be in on it. My question is, what do you do with the regular season then? And I don't want to see like... Don't you take a week away? You just take one week I off of the season. you probably got to take a week two, maybe. That's fine. But, I don't uh, think so. But you I don't, take one week away. But then it comes down to, what are you going to do? Because I don't want to see you cut out... I get it that some teams, <clears throat> Missouri, play some bad non-conference games like SEMO. But uh, I... <laughs> I don't want to Seriously, see. Seriously, I'd be I'd be all for taking that out of the schedule. I, I would be too, but I want to see you continue to do more non-conference games. Just take out the first week of the season hate, where it's just a warm-up game for the, every team. I yeah, you but know the what problem you is might do is get rid of the conference that. championships. I don't know that they'll do it, but if you award yeah, it based on the regular maker. season, well, then how would you? Oh, is it just whoever wins the conference in terms of record? I, I think that would be the easiest way to get this done. Is that for those teams that are going to their conference championship, instead of playing in that, you play the I, first round slash the quarterfinals. See, I just think you take out the the the, the least amount of interest in, in one game per week because every team has one that it's like, oh, this is just a warm up game for this team. Take that out. I also think an unintended consequence of this. One thing that might be a positive is you could get much better non con games. Like those games that we see every year that Alabama plays in, more teams would be willing to schedule those in the non-con if you had more wiggle room in your schedule. If it was no longer just a complete elimination for you, if you lose one game in the non-con, you could see like Baylor scheduling somebody in the non-con like Ole Miss or something like that, right? You could see these fun, exciting, interesting games in the non-con that we don't currently see. And, so, And it gets you more more prepared for the playoff, too, in terms of learning what you have. Because like, I'm with you now. Most teams don't want to do it because, you know, that one, like Clemson, Clemson was, let's be honest, probably out even after that Georgia loss. Some people would say they had a chance exactly. they won the ACC. The ACC was so weak, Clemson was already eliminated, yep. so... And this would be different. They they wouldn't have had that issue, although they ended up having the issue of just not being very good. Coming up in 15 minutes, would you be interested in this slugger at this cost? We'll tell you who that is coming up at the top of the hour. But next, 65780 is the air comfort service tax line for questions and answers here on 101 ESPN. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe text now to 65780. It's BK and Ferrario's questions and answers on 101 ESPN. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers. Let's start out with this from the 314. Hey, guys, it sounds like Spencer Rattler, the former Oklahoma quarterback, has legitimate interest in transferring to Mizzou. Would you be excited about that as a Mizzou fan? Tanner, what are your thoughts on Spencer Rattler, the former Oklahoma quarterback? I said it heading into the year. Most overrated quarterback in college football, along with that football team. It makes sense. I'll tell you what, Missouri gets him. Illinois will be happy because they didn't sign up for a turnover machine in Spencer Rattler. It makes sense, though, doesn't it, T-Bone? Mediocre Mizzou football, mediocre quarterback. He's not not even a mediocre quarterback. He's a bad quarterback. He threw 28 touchdowns and seven picks last year. You know what? He'd be better if he played in the FCS. You know what this reminds me of? Kelly Bryant. Does this remind you a little bit of Kelly Bryant? Like people are like overhype it a little bit. Like, oh, this guy's gonna be great. Yeah, and he comes in, he's Kelly terrible. Bryant was but, gonna be good, and it didn't well, work out. Well, Kelly Bryant was overrated because he was he was just an okay quarterback that was in a great situation. I guess the question is: Is Rattler the same? Because Rattler was supposed to be a superstar, and he he just wasn't that this year. If Spencer Rattler gets back to the guy that he was claimed to be as a recruit and also as an NFL draft prospect. I mean, Mizzou could legitimately have one of the 10 best quarterbacks in the country next year if this guy ends up deciding to come to Mizzou, which doesn't seem guaranteed by any stretch of the imagination. I think I would sign up for it. I've 
What are my options if it's not Spencer Rattler? That's the problem. I mean, probably one of the guys that's currently on the roster. And I hope it's not Bazelak. Yeah. So who's the other one? Um, Brady Cook. How do we feel about Brady Cook? Tyler Macon. Macon. He's a stud. I saw him in person. Yeah, but is He's he ready to be a stud? That's what we don't know. Well, this the Sam Horn kid that they've got coming in from Georgia. He played in state playoff game. I don't know if it was a championship or not. I mean, he he looks really good. But he's also a college freshman next year. And then my other question is: Is this roster ready to have? Like, is the roster ready to compete, or are you waiting for that next year? Because if that's the case, what's the point of bringing I mean, in Spencer? Luther Burden. I was say, I think so, offensively so that's, so, but that's what I'm saying. If Luther Burton's ready to go and you have the team around him, then I think you want the best option. And if Spencer Rattler's it, then go for it. But, I mean, if it's I'd him. I'd shoot or, for the upside. Worst case scenario, it doesn't work out. And you yeah, probably weren't going to be good anyway. If it's him or Bazelak, I'm going Spencer Rattler with Luther Burton because at least maybe I can strike some lightning in a bottle for one season. Yeah. I mean, even if he does have a season similar to what Kelly Bryant was, that's, that's a lot better than what. Connor Bazelak was for you this year. That would be a win. You know, and the other thing he does is he's he's a pretty good athlete. He'll give you something in the running game, which is not what Connor Bazelak did for you this year. What uh who are the other teams interested in him? Uh so Arizona State was apparently one of them, and they their quarterback just entered the transfer portal as well. So that would be the one. If I had to put a bet down on where Spencer Rattler ends up going, I would say it's probably Arizona State. Okay, but California, right? Or Arizona? I think Arizona. But it's not, it like, Arizona? it's not like Alabama and Clemson are the teams going not after Not right him. now, but... That's where I'd be like, okay, well... Yeah, he's from Phoenix. Do you really want him? So my, my guess would be he ends up at Arizona State. His final five when he was going through his recruitment. And by the way, he was... He was the number one quarterback in the country. This is this is a kid that was a star coming out of high school. Alabama, Arizona, Arizona State, and Kentucky were his other options coming out. So I don't know where specifically he he's opted going to, to go to Oklahoma. Yeah, I mean Lincoln Riley was producing at the time the Heisman Trophy winner every Three straight year. Straight years, was, right? Yeah, that was when they were going through that that great run with um, all the quarterbacks back to back. Speaking of Oklahoma, can I ask you a question? Even mm. Is this questions, questions and answers? Yeah, yeah, so this fits perfectly. By the way, Ole Miss, UCLA, and Oregon were the other teams in South Carolina to express interest mm. in uh, Spencer Rattler. That'll with, be tough. With Oklahoma, do you guys think the Will Venables hire makes sense? Because I, I love him as a coach, but going from a team that was so offensive heavy with Lincoln Riley to all of a sudden we're just going to flip the script and go to uh, Will Venables. Venables? Great di- what? Will Venables? Venables is a baseball player. I was like, oh, who, who did is I Will say? Venables? Oh, uh, I think sorry. he played outfield Brent for the Venables. Brewers. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, to me, I don't know if the hire makes sense. Yeah, he did. Played outfield for the Brewers, the Red Sox, and the Padres. Yeah. He probably can't coach football. Brent Venables, I think, is... <laughs> I love him as a coach. I just don't know if going from I wouldn't offensive have done it. heavy, I wouldn't have either. I wouldn't have done it. Um, I don't know what he's going to be like as a recruiter. His players love him. Absolutely adore him. But this is... I always wonder, when you've got a guy that has program ties, and that's basically the only reason why you're hiring him... That that's never to me the right guy to go for. I I would always go for the guy that it's like this is the most qualified person for this job right now. Don't know if Brent Venables was that guy right now. So it's it's a fine hire. I mean, he was a great defensive coordinator, but there are a lot of guys that are just really good as defensive coordinators and don't end up becoming great head coaches. And it's just such a major flip in my opinion, going from a and maybe I I understand you're not going to get the next Lincoln Riley, but you went from this 
offensive set we're recruiting quarterbacks we just mentioned you had three straight heisman winners with lincoln riley as your head coach and now all of a sudden he's gone and you just completely flip script to defense it just feels weird it is strange six five seven eight oh is the air comfort service x line for questions and answers from the six three six guys if you had to make a choice alex this is for i think the two of us if you had to make a choice would you go with a christmas eve proposal a new year's eve proposal a random day or a day of significance already to the couple I think this is individualized to your future fiance. My future fiance? No. I would hope you're not having a future hey fiance. Man. Hey man, we we only do that once. For for me, like Kara didn't want to take away from a family holiday. And I think New Year's Eve is just in no disrespect to anyone, this is my opinion. I think that's way too cliché for proposals. If that's what your if that's what your girlfriend wants at the time, unless it's a date of it. significance for both of you, sure. I always opt to the date of significance. Like I propose to Katie when our anniversary as boyfriend and girlfriend was. Yep. That's when I proposed to her because, frankly, it worked best to try and trick her to realize she wasn't getting proposed to. If your girlfriend wants it to happen around her family, and the best way for that to be possible is around the holidays. I can see how that would make sense. Like if you're from out of town and you go back like two times a year and the only times that you go to be around their family is around the holidays. I totally understand that. I would also say make sure to clear that with the family. If they don't want to take away from the holidays, try to find another time to be able to make that. Were you traditional? Did you ask her family? Mm -hmm. Okay. I mean, we were living with her parents at the time, so it wasn't all that hard for me to do. I went upstairs. Hide around that one. (laughs) Did you? Yeah. Yeah, I, I think it's the right thing to do, but it was very uncomfortable asking her dad. Very uncomfortable. Really? Yeah, not not on anything he did. It's just, I don't know. It's Were you weird. like really scared? No, I wasn't scared. It was just like, I, I don't know. I was really awkward. Like I kind of just sat there and looked at him like, so can I propose to your daughter? Like there was no like small talk before. Like he, he knew why I was coming now. over there. Yeah, He's mine. Just, I didn't really need to set an appointment. I walked upstairs. <laughs> And then, yeah, like, and then Keith looked at BK and said, can you leave me alone for once, BK? Damn. Yeah, he was like, really, you're asking me this right now? Like, the game's on, man. I'm shocked but, you but, just didn't yell it from downstairs. But, but hey, you mind? Can I, can I go ahead and propose? He, he texts him from downstairs. Hey, Keith, I'm going to propose to care if you're cool with that. Fine, just don't bother me. I'm watching football. Coming up in 15 minutes, some NFL rapid reactions. Did the Ravens make the right call yesterday going for two at the end of the game to try to beat the Steelers in regulation? And it's time for the Vikings to officially move on for Mike Zammer. We'll talk about that coming up in 15 minutes. But next, would you be interested in this slugger on the open market for this cost? We'll tell you who that is and what the price would be next on 101 ESPN. They are St. Louis. It's BK and Ferrario live from the Car Shield Studio on 101 ESPN. So there is some blues news that we need to get to before we talk about one of the players on the open market oh, that I think still makes some sense for the St. Louis Cardinals. Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kylie. So this news coming from Craig Berube's press conference with the media just moments ago, according to Jeremy Rutherford, uh, Robert Thomas did not skate today. And it's because of a lower body issue. He's apparently day-to-day. Tarasenko didn't skate, but that was maintenance-related, so he's expected to play tomorrow. Uh, Craig Burby told the media that Thomas's injury that he's dealing with is a lingering issue that he's been dealing with. 
but now it's time for him to give it some rest to be able to truly uh, recover from this. Hey, the good news is it's not COVID. If you're reading between the lines, Alex, this sounds to me like they're probably not going to have Robert Thomas tomorrow. That, that would be my guess. Again, that is me projecting. That is not reporting. That is a guess. But it feels to me like this is something he's probably going to miss at least the next game with. Ooh, buddy, these injuries, these COVID cases, this is officially starting to pile up the way that it did a year ago. Yeah, I, I, I'd be curious with Thomas. If he's been playing through it, maybe they just told him, like, look, don't come to practice today. Just sit and see if your but body. If that was the case, he would have said it's maintenance. But the way that he's it is keeping himself, he's keeping himself covered. I mean, if Thomas has played through it and it's I mean, I mean, he played the whole game against the Florida Panthers. So for me, I wouldn't say and I know what you were doing. You were just you're you're speculating there. There's a possibility. Correct. I I would imagine if they're at that end, Thomas would say, look, I can fight through this one. But maybe they do tell him, like, hey, stay out for a day. But day to day is a good sign that it's not something that's lingering and more abusive because, look, I, I mean, he did play that entire game versus Florida. But. This is a nightmare right now. I mean, you're in a you're in a position where you have no salary cap flexibility because of one the LTIR scenario where you already have certain guys on there, so you got some relief from that. But you also have the COVID scenario, and in this position right now, Neil skated today, but Neil and Costin are both at least eleven days away because remember they have to miss ten games and twenty four days on LTIR. Um, so they're 11 days away, which takes you to the 17th. So it's still about a week and a half away. And Bozak, Bennington, and Falk, they can come back this weekend. I think it's Bozak on the 11th, Falk, and Bennington on the 12th. But we all have seen, like, other than Tory Krug, everyone else that was on COVID protocol had to have at least a couple of skates. And the Blues aren't going to have a whole lot of practices because they play every other, other day with a back-to-back Saturday mm-hmm. and Sunday. So if this is the case, you're looking at, 17 players for at least the next three games, maybe four, a nightmare. This is the scenario I was hoping they would be able to to avoid. Alex, I've made the comparison a few times. It's it's hard not to do it now. They started last year 7-2-1. That is the same record that they had this season through the first 10 games of the year. At this point last season, they were 14-8-2 as a team, 14-8-2 through 24 games. This year, through 24 games, they are 12, 8, and 4. So roughly the same, right around the same area. They, they lost a couple of those games in overtime this year that they won last year. The bottom fell out after 24 games. This is the exact same spot last year that the bottom fell out of the team because of COVID and injury-related issues. They went 2, 8, and 4 over their next 14 games. The Blues have to avoid that because last year, the only way they were able to make the playoffs... even despite those issues that they had at this exact period of time a year ago was because the rest of the division just stunk. They stunk out out of high water the the rest of the season. They were awful. Nobody else wanted to make the playoffs. That will not be the case this year. Your division's too good for you to be able to recover from a stretch where you go something like 2-8-4, and where you lose 12 out of your next 14 games. That is what they have to avoid. And that's a lot of pressure on guys like Ryan O'Reilly and Colton Pareko and Vladimir Tarasenko that are still out there skating right now. But man, thus is life right now for the Blues and for really everybody in the NHL. They've got to find a way to come through with some wins in these games. And it's not going to be easy. Like Florida, uh, Anaheim, Dallas, Winnipeg, Toronto, Edmonton. You've got some tough teams coming up. It's It's not an easy slate. 
but they've got to find a way to avoid happening to them this year what happened a year ago. You said it best last week, BK. you got to keep your head above water right now. you got to wait until you get everyone back. You know, I'm, I'm looking at probably the Winter Classic game against the Minnesota Wild, maybe even beyond that, because remember, these guys that are missing this amount of time, it's going to take some time for them to get back to their style of hockey. Look how long it took Ryan O'Reilly. Look how long it took uh, Tory Krug, uh, how it took David Perron. Like, it's taken guys a lot to get back to their form. Brandon Saad, another one. So it, you, you said it last week to keep your head above water, but you also said, which I love the way you put it, this is beyond an excuse, and now it's more of a explanation. Yeah. And for the people that respond that say, oh, that's just an excuse, other teams are dealing with injuries. You're right. Other teams are dealing with injuries to important players. They're not dealing with injuries to six position players on your roster to where you're having to play. And I understand it's the position the Blues put themselves in with the money that they've handed out. But guess what? When you're missing that amount of people, when you're missing that amount of talent in your lineup and that amount of position players in your lineup, you're, you're going to struggle. And now it's a matter of picking up points and keeping yourself above the above the borderline of being out of the playoffs and digging yourself too too deep into a hole that you can't get out of. As of today, Alex, where do these five players rank among the most indispensable blues? Because this is this is what they're dealing with. Perron, Falk, Thomas, Bennington, and I'm gonna include Shin on this list because he's clearly not anywhere close to hundred percent. I mean, those five guys, Perron, Falk, Thomas, Shin, and Bennington, I think if you had to put a list of your top 10 players in terms of the the greatest importance for the Blues, at a minimum, all five of those guys are on that list. I think you would probably add to it Saad, Kairou, O'Reilly, and Pareko. And then maybe Krug or somebody else, you could throw somebody else into the mix. But, I mean, you can make a legitimate argument that five of your top nine players on this Blues roster are either out right now or are dealing with some sort of an issue that is clearly preventing them from being at 100% in the case of Braden Shen. If I were to, to rank at least the five guys that you started with, Perron, Falk, Thomas, Bennington, and Shen, honestly, what I would have is I would probably have Falk at number one, Thomas at number two, um... I'd probably put Bennington at three, Peron, Shen four, and Perron five. But Falk and Thomas are the two most crucial players on that list. The, and, and the reason why Thomas, in my opinion, to your point, Alex, is so high on that list is because of the way that Shen's playing right now. Yeah, well, like, that and look at the offense he creates. Absolutely. And he's ta- that's a good point. He's taken that next step this year where he makes those around him better. I do wonder, Alex, how much of... Tarasenko's struggles of late is at least in part because Thomas has taken a little bit of a step back in terms of the way, what he's limited physically. A couple of texts to address on the Air Comfort Service text line 65780 from the 573 asking, why can't the Blues call anyone up? Look, they can't call anybody up because they're up against the salary cap and they're up against that because they already have players on LTIR. They get relief from that, but they also have players that are out with COVID. So because of this, there's no cap relief to COVID players. You don't have money to bring players up. And keep in mind, the salary on cap friendly says one thing. There's bonuses that go into contracts where you can't bring individuals up. Someone asked for an update on David Perron. Uh, from what Barubi said, it sounds like he's making progress. But with a head injury, which is all we're assuming this is, you're never going to rush somebody like that. So I would imagine you're not going to see Perron for at least the next couple of games. This is the one that got me, and it says, I sent this text last week, but it seems more relevant. Why do these athletes keep catching COVID? What the hell is going on? This is the thing. It's not that they're catching COVID. 2021. They're being tested 
every day right now. They're being tested every other day right Isn't now. Isn't it every three days? Well, it was every three NHL days, team? but I think they went to every day right now because of all of the numbers that are popping up and the NHL's trying to get this back on board. But when you're testing these, and Shen said this the other day, when you're getting tested every day, every other day, every third day, you're going to have a lot more positive tests than other leagues where you're not getting tested that much, where you're getting tested once a week. I mean, it's a good thing that this is happening. It's a very good thing, but this is what happens when you get tested this often. Yeah. I mean, the players that test positive would test positive eventually, even if they were tested once a week, that it doesn't get out of your system that quickly. But like the, the reason why it's happening is because it spreads. You get one test, you get one guy that tests positive. We've all seen this in our own lives, right? You go to work, somebody tests positive, you were around them the day before. You might not be positive at that exact time, but a week later, you test positive. Like, that happened to me. I, me and others here, right around the same time last right. year, right around this time last year, Multiple guys right. had had an issue at the same time. Like this, this is just the way right. that it works. And I'm not trying to get political with this at all. I'm just saying this is the this is the life we live right now. This is the life that athletes yeah. live right now. So it's going to happen. And when they, they test positive, they go on this list. And there is the option to get out of the COVID protocol if they don't have symptoms. But when they have symptoms, they go into it for ten days. Yeah. And so the I think the thing that's important here is not so much like the testing or any of why it's happening. It's I think the thing, the problem that the league has right now is that there's no COVID relief. That's exactly, that is the bigger issue. If you're a team that has a player that is on the IL right now because of COVID, you can't do anything with that player. It is not the same as a guy that's banged up or bruised and is not playing that night because he's a scratch. That guy is completely unavailable to you for 10 days. Will allow that team to call up an emergency player as a result of that. Just be able to replace that guy until the player returns from COVID. And when that happens, okay, you're required to send that other player down, and that's all that you have to do. It's a one for one. And it has to be, you could even make a, a disclaimer in that, that it has to be a minimum level player. It has to be an entry level deal that comes up. Like there would be teams that would say, okay, thank God, at least we've got a body to be able to put there. But uh, it, it's a problem. The, the issue for this league right now is that they're not allowing these teams to be able to uh, use that COVID relief. Yeah. And that's the biggest treating it as a as a short term injury. That's the biggest joke of all of this is they're they're not allowing cap relief for these teams. And, and some teams are getting punished by it. And the Blues are the ones that are getting the biggest punishment right now because of all the players they've had. And they've and had to stick with the roster players. That's that's the biggest issue is like you had Ryan O'Reilly on there and he was whatever, seven million dollars. Right. And right now you've got Justin Falk on there and you Along had Tori Krug and Bennington. Like you've got 13 million dollars, 14 million dollars on the COVID IL right now. I feel now. like once There's you once you, you surpass do. a certain amount, that's where they should allow like half of the amount that's on the COVID protocol list when you surpass 10 mil is allowed to you for relief. Uh, it, it just takes away from the game. I, I mean, look, if the Blues got to skate with 17 guys, I don't know. Like, what's what's the what's the enjoyment in that for the fans? I don't understand the NHL's point of all of this. Like, it's they're punishing the teams, but there, there, there's no point to punishing. You're punishing the fans just as much as you're punishing the teams because of the product on the ice. And there's no, there's no reason to punish the teams. Like, if they were outside of the, um, if they were if they weren't vaccinated, then if yeah. they're unvaccinated, if they're going out in Miami and getting wild at a club, and you see the pictures right. being posted on Instagram or something, all right, yeah, punish the team, take away a draft pick, exactly. whatever. Like, yeah, a hundred percent there for it. 
if you just get COVID, like we're all dealing with this in our, in our everyday lives. It, there's really no reason to punish them for it. But uh, that's where they're at. The Blues are back in action tomorrow night. Blues versus Panthers pregame coverage with Alex Ferrario as they might have to go with 17 skaters uh, pregame at 6 o'clock. Alex will have all of the latest for you right there. Coming up next, would you be interested in this slugger at this cost? I teased that coming into this segment. We'll talk about it next for the Cardinals coming up on 101 ESPN. Giving you the picture, the real big St. Louis sports picture. It's BK and Ferrario, live from the Car Shield Studio on 101 ESPN. in our last segment we were talking about the latest with the st louis blues it looks like robert tom is probably going to be out tomorrow night with a lower body injury according to craig berube he's been uh dealing with this for a while now but he told the media quote it's a lingering thing it's been going on for a little bit but he's fought through it now it is time he needs some rest end quote and according to the team's uh, official website it looks like robert thomas is going to be out tomorrow night against the florida panthers so just a quick update there we had suggested that he was likely going to miss the game now it looks like it's been all but confirmed that he will miss the game again i'll just recap my stance in the last segment i think the biggest issue right now uh, setting aside the robert thomas thing the blues should be able to call up players that are going to help them not skate a man short this becomes a health issue for the nhlpa If I'm a member of the NHLPA, hell, any player that is currently on the Blues, I'm calling my representative and saying, you guys have to battle for this because the fact that the Blues are not eligible to call up a player because of their cap situation, because they the league treats these COVID issues the same way it would treat a short term injury. They're having to skate a man short. These guys are having to take longer shifts. They're far more likely to get injured as a result of that. Your body wears down over time. That's how it works. Uh, this this is an issue for the league. It needs to get corrected, and this is something they have to look into eventually. I I would have to imagine, Alex, after the February break that they're taking for the Olympics, if the Olympics take place for these players, they, they've got to make some sort of a change to these protocols when they return, which is February 25th. Yeah, I, I would imagine that they always have the GM meetings. I think it's around January, but that might shift because of the Olympics, if the Olympics even happen right now with everything that's going on. But I would imagine that at those GM meetings, there's going to be a lot of conversation with this that get to the NHL. The problem is the CBA, the contract was negotiated, so it's hard to go back into the things and say, okay, well, we need to renegotiate this, but it's It's affecting too many teams, and frankly, it's affecting the product on the ice, which is just frustrating. So that's that's where they stand. Like I said, Robert Thomas likely to miss tomorrow's game. All right, let's talk a little bit about the Cardinals. There's nothing taking place in baseball. Baseball is, for all intents and purposes, dead right now. Um, we'll Whoa. see when it returns. Maybe it'll come out of. Are the they ca- with the Angels right now? It, it'll come out of the casket the same no, way Kim Anderson out. once did. <laughs> Hopefully, its return is a little more enjoyable than Kim Anderson's return for Mizzou basketball. Oh. Now, <laughs> Kyle Schwarber is a player that we have talked a lot about going into the offseason. Alex, and he is available out there. He did not sign prior to the December 1st deadline, which means Cardinals. that somebody is going to be able to sign one hell of a slugger when the free agency market opens back up. Well, Barry Jackson and Craig Mish of the Miami Herald said that the Marlins were in conversations with Schwarber before signing Avisail Garcia before that deadline. And according to Jackson and Mish, Schwarber was looking to get a three-year, $60 million deal, which means he'd probably settle for a little bit less than that. If the player is asking for three and 60, 
Typically, they settle for a little less. They ask high, just like with your contract negotiation at your work, whatever it is that you may do. You ask for a high high bar, they probably offer you a low bar, and you end up somewhere in between. Even if that doesn't happen, even if he does get this salary, Alex, would you be interested in Schwarber at three and $60 million? Heck yeah, I would be interested in that. I mean, $20 million might be a little steep for Kyle Schwarber specifically. I mean, you're bringing him solely to be a DH. Um, but look at the bat that you're bringing into this lineup. Look at what you are changing in this lineup. You're adding a left-sided power hitter who gets on base a lot and has the fear factor to go along with it in the middle of this order. Or, frankly, you might be putting at the top of the order. I mean, to add Kyle Schwarber into a three-headed monster of Goldschmidt, Arenado, and Tyler O'Neill, and insert in Dylan Carlson and Tommy Edmond, it's doing exactly what we talked about in the offseason. You have to force, you have to sign somebody to your roster that forces Yadier Molina down into the lineup. And Kyle Schwarber does that. So for $20 million, three years, where the next best option that could improve your bat is probably going to cost close to 30 mil. Yeah, I'm doing that. Yeah, I think I would do it too. The only concerns that I have with it is A, if it is the 20 mil, like you said, BK, it will probably be lower. But if it is the 20 mil, does that probably put an end to your offseason? I don't know. Yes. It, it probably does. And then the other one for me is, do I really want to pay $20 million for a guy that's only going to hit against right-handed pitching? And I get it. That's 70% of the time. But still, if I'm going to spend $20 million and get an impact bat, I would rather have a guy that I know is going to be in the lineup every day. That's the one negative I have on a Kyle Schwarber signing. But if you told me that's the only impact bat that we can afford, then absolutely, that's the guy that I would go get. Because you can put him at the DH spot, as you mentioned, high on base, hit leadoff, where he can hit in the middle of the order, depending on how things are going. And it forces Yadier Molina down the lineup, which is what you're going to have to use. But So, yeah, I would be in on but this. But I know people's response are going to be, well, if that ends my offseason, then no, I'm not going to do it. What else do you want to do in your offseason? I think they need a bullpen arm. Well, that's great, but you could get you a cheap bullpen get arm. Yeah. You get a cheap I, bullpen arm. I think you could. I think it won't be the big kind of no. sexy name that you're looking for you because what, the bullpen market has played a little higher than people have been But expecting. you know what you can't get? A cheap hitter that changes your offense. Like, you can't get that. And if you have the option to get that and end my offseason or, oh, well, I don't want to end the offseason so that I can make sure I go get that bullpen pitcher. Cool. So what, are you going to spend $5 million on a guy who pitches every third day? That, that That's that's not enough for me. So you mentioned that you can only play him against right-handed pitching. You're wrong, T-Bone. Tanner. He's actually okay against lefties. Last year against left-handed pitching, he had an 800 <laughs> OPS, which is solid. I, what? It's just I, Ferrario. It just, I went right at him. You're wrong. Um, if you look at what he's done against right-handed pitching, though, I mean, it's it's absurd. It's, it's real good. Uh, he has a 900 OPS over the last four years against right-handed pitching specifically. If you're looking at the entire sport, so all of baseball, there are over the last four years, 123 players that are qualified in terms of the number of at-bats that they've taken against right-handed pitching. 123. He is 16th. In his OPS against right-handed pitching in that stretch. He basically has the same OPS over the last four years against righties as guys like Jose Ramirez, Joey Votto, Max Muncy, J.D. Martinez, Brandon Belt, Aaron Judge. Like, he is Those guys are okay. one of the best hitters in baseball oh, against right-handed pitching. But he can only hit righties. Hold on, hold on. I he would immediately come in and be your best hitter against righties. The reason, the, stop. the reason I said my concern against left-handed pitching, yeah, that was great last year, but in his career, he's really struggled against a 684 OPS against left-handed Ooh, pitching. Oh, look at me. I could look up data. Take that, Ferrario. <laughs> eh, he's been fine for the majority of the last few years, though. 
Oh, God, that's it. Let's get into a numbers no, debate. I'm Let's do saying, math like, on the I, air. I, early in his oh, career, no. no doubt about it. He was bad, but he was bad against everybody and early in his career. And he was a catcher then, too, and, and like that takes a lot away. Yeah, his first three years in the big leagues, he just wasn't the same player that he's been over the last four. I, if you're telling me, hey, the Cardinals this offseason, they signed Kyle Schwarber to a three-year deal worth $60 million, and they signed Steven Matz to a four-year deal with 44, and that's basically all they do other than some lower-level bullpen arms, cool. I'm here for it. That sounds great to me. Just 30, another cool. You signed $30 million worth of free agents per off, per year over the next three years, and you got a big bat, a legit number three starter. Uh, you're you're expecting some of these younger pitchers to come through for you in the bullpen. Yeah, I'm here for it. It allows you to have still some flexibility out in the pen. I, I don't think that you are completely off off the radar when it comes to adding bullpen arms in season. You can still do that. We saw last year, TJ McFarland, Luis Garcia. Those were guys that they were able to add throughout the season. You can always find those arms if you need them. You can't find a Kyle Schwarber very easily. You can find a guy that can help you. Typically, they don't hit the way that Schwarber does. The one question that I would have, and Tanner, I know this was one of your concerns about Schwarber going into the offseason or players like him. This would probably mean Juan Yepes is completely demoted to exclusively a bench role. You guys good with that? Because it's it's not just for next year. This would not be a one-year contract. You would have Schwarber and Goldie under contract for the next three years, I believe. It might be two years for Goldie, but definitely at least the next two. You guys good with Yepes being a bench bat for you for at least the next couple of seasons? I, I think that, and I know you don't want to say, don't want to hear me say this if you're giving Schwarber $20 million, but I wouldn't be shocked if for a little bit or at some point they would platoon Yepes with Schwarber. Give Yepes a bat against the lefties rather than Schwarber. But I just told you, Schwarber's... I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> he can only hit against righties. He can. Look at his career numbers. I, I, I don't know if I would be okay with that. That's the part that I'm tied up with, but I, I just... I think it changes your offense with Kyle Schwarber, and I just can't put the faith right now into Juan Yepes for changing the offense and being an everyday bat because you just don't know what you're going to get. Sure, he's torn it up in the Arizona Fall League, but you don't know what that is against major league hitting major league pitchers for an 162-game schedule. So if those were my options, you're either getting Juan Yepes and platooning a DH or you're getting Juan Yepes as your everyday DH, I'm going the platoon option. Man, I... If or you could bench option, sorry. I, I feel bad for Yepes because he's probably deserving of this opportunity. Like you look at his minor league numbers over the last uh, couple of seasons, really, but especially last year. You know who he reminds me of in terms of looking at the minor league numbers was is Jose Martinez, a guy that always hit in the minor leagues, yep. and he finally got the opportunity. His bat always played; he just didn't have the defense to carry it. Well, now you have a DH to where you could hide Yepes defensively in terms of that. And that's that's what your concern is. Are you locking yourself into a twenty million dollar per year? DH when you already had a guy under contract for next season at like a million dollars in Juan Yepes who could give you maybe not the same production as Kyle Schwarber does but could give you similar production for a 20th of the cost and you've got him under contract for the next six years and you potentially waste the next two years of very team-friendly deals because you've got this $20 million player that you locked yourself into for the next three years. That, that's the one concern that I would have with signing Kyle Schwarber. I don't think it's enough to make me not do the deal. Because if you're telling me, hey, I've just got too many good hitters and I've got to figure it out. Okay, cool. I'll figure it out. You know, that that's the kind of thing that if I'm the manager of this team next year, 
yeah, I'll, I'll give guys more off days. Uh, Paul Goldschmidt, you're going to get a few more off days at first base. I know that doesn't, that's not something you want to hear as a Cardinals fan, but they can put him into the DH slot. I can put Schwarber there at first base. I can find find opportunities to get Yepes into high leverage situations where he's going to be a big time bat off of my bench. I, I don't think it's necessarily um, a bad thing to have too many qualified hitters to be in your lineup on a day-to-day basis. Yeah, I'm kind of with you. And if you had to, and I don't think they would do this because I think they did this with Matheny. It was basically, if you, or Mike Schultz did it too, had it in this year. If you hit, you play. We'll find a spot to put you in the order. And if Schwarber goes through a bit of a cold spell, then maybe he spends a couple days on the bench and you have Yepes in that spot to get the yep at. So I don't view that as a problem. I think where my frustration would come is that I do want to see Yepes get an opportunity, and I don't view the DH spot as a hole. I view shortstop as a big hole, and I know that I've preached this for the last couple of weeks, and I know it's probably not going to get answered, but I view shortstop as being a massive hole, and you can fix that on the open market compared to DH, which I don't think there's a hole. I think you have your internal solutions in terms of Yepes or Gorman. I don't look at shortstop and say, okay, I have a guy, and I get it. It's basically going to come down to, will the story market fall to where the Cardinals are comfortable? I don't think it will. Or Carlos Correa, of course. It's another option. I could. I can't. Even, I have a feeling he's going to sign with the Cardinals. I agree. Do you? Yeah. Ten years, three hundred and forty. Yeah, they, they, money's not a concern to build the wit. Kind of what I figured. With oh, Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up in fifteen minutes or so, we'll dive into the junk drawer. But next, NFL rapid reactions, including: Is it time for the Vikings to go ahead and move on from Mike Zimmer? When you lose to the Lions, I think it's a question that at least deserves to be asked. We'll talk about it next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to more of it. It's BK and Ferrario live from the Car Shield Studio on 101 ESPN. We just went through, and if you heard me screaming going coming back from that break, way to interrupt my sports. I apologize. We were going spike. through a, uh, a a heated discussion off air, in which credit where it's due, Alex was one hundred percent correct. Ooh, I remembered again. a specific scene from a movie. We we're talking about something relating to this. Where the guy's job is he's at an NBA arena and he's the video coordinator and he's telling them which camera to go to and all these different things. And I was like, what movie is that from? I know what it is, but I can't think of the movie that it's from. Alex, of course, called it. It was life as we know it. So that is what we were talking about off air. I apologize for screaming into your microphone. Is that it? That's that's it what it sounded well like. Tanner once he started his sports center. Like, right. is that it? Do we have to listen anymore? Let's talk some NFL after the weekend that was. Let's start out with this weird weekend in the NFL. Did not enjoy very many of the games. However, there were a couple of them that at least gave us some storylines. Alex, is it time for the Vikings to move on from Mike Zimmer after Minnesota? Lost to the Lions. Remember when I said that if the Vikings could beat the Lions, then that's actually something to build off of, and yeah, they couldn't. Apparently, they couldn't figure out I a should way. Have polished that turd and not let you guys stop me. Is it time for Zimmer? Yeah, it's time for Zimmer because Zimmer's whole thing is defense, right? It's 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 making sure that you're one of the top defensive teams because he's defensive-minded coach, and that's not the case. That was not the case against the Lions. I mean. You got beat on the Lions driving down the field with minutes, seconds left to go in the game by Jared, by freaking, Jared Goff. freaking Goff. Yeah. It's time to move on. And I said at the beginning of the season, and I, I think we did uh, better to forget it. And I said, Mike Zimmer is going to be the first one to, to be fired as a head coach. 
And part of me still believes that with this team. So, yeah, I think it's time to move on from him. It's unfortunate, too, because the Vikings have the makings of a good team, but it just doesn't seem like Zimmer's the guy for him. How did they lose that game? 340 yards, no interceptions from Kirk Cousins. Alexander Madison rushed for 90 yards on the ground. Justin Jefferson at 182 yards through the air. They lost the game because the defense can't stop the ball. All of the numbers would indicate the Vikings were really good in this one, and yet they lost to the damn Lions. Yeah, it's time. I I was shocked by the way they played that in the final two-minute drill. I don't matter how much time was left when Goff got out there. It wasn't a lot. It wasn't exactly two minutes, but they just kept sitting back. And minute sitting, 50. Minute, oh, actually, it was pretty close. They just kept sitting back and sitting back, and at some point, I was like, okay, well, at some point, they've got to step up, and they never did. In fact, it almost looked like one of those where you accidentally step, and you've crossed the line and didn't even know it, mm-hmm. because next thing they know, they look up, and the Lions are in the end zone celebrating. So, yeah, I'm with you guys. It's time for him to go. I don't know where you turn if you're Minnesota, because... I don't know if you want to go get. You're not the most exciting place with Kirk Cousins, so you're not going to draw probably one of the top offensive coordinators. So they're in a tough spot, but, yeah, I'm with you. It's time for Zimmer to go. It's not a great offseason to be looking for a coach. There aren't a ton of candidates out there that are obvious, but I think you have to start fresh. I think it's time. Kirk Cousins has actually put together quietly a pretty darn good season for the Vikings, and they're wasting it. They're not able to to overcome some of the issues that they have defensively right now to your point Alex so I think it's time for them to move on I like Mike Zimmer I think he did a really good job there and he's underrated as a coach for what he's done there in the past but sometimes these things run their course and I think it's time for them to move on from Mike Zimmer as their head football coach the other game that I found very intriguing down the stretch was the Ravens versus the Steelers Ravens had an opportunity there at the very end to be able to go up they score a touchdown and they go for two down 20 to 19 on the road in Pittsburgh. After the game, John Harbaugh says, hey, Marlon Humphrey, he was not going to be able to go out there for us at corner. We basically didn't have enough bodies to go out there in overtime to play an extra period. So we decided to go for two. Alex, did you like their decision to go for two to potentially win it or lose it right there at the end of regulation? I always love when coaches decide to do this. And I know the smart play probably would have been to kick the field goal. And I understand this side of things. But look, I want my head coach to be aggressive. And when I have what some consider one of the better quarterbacks in the national football league. I'm going to take my shot. And frankly, I I think they had the play. I I mean, Lamar looked like he just overthrew it a tad, but I mean, I was always taught that if it touches your hands, you had the opportunity to catch the ball and Mark Mm -hmm. Andrews bobbles it. So I think they had the play. And I I love the fact that they went for two points there. I mean, you didn't want to go into overtime, whether or not you had the bodies, you were aggressive with it. And when you went immediately, so I I say props to them. Yeah, I guess knowing now that you didn't have the corners, then it makes sense. But at the time, I didn't think it did. There, to me, there are times when you do it, and there's times that you don't. Like, if you're the underdog and you're taking on a big, heavy favorite, that's probably the time to do it. You've played your best that you can. Are you going to play that well in overtime? Who knows? When you're the Ravens, and I get that you've given up 20 to Pittsburgh, you're the better team. I don't care what you say. I don't care what I saw in that game. You're the better team. To me, now that we know about the corners, but before that happened, before we knew that, I would have kicked the extra point and tried to go to overtime. Couldn't stop them. The last three Steelers possessions, touchdown, field goal, touchdown, prior to the Ravens scoring there, it was the right decision. I, I absolutely thought they had they had a good play called. He had him open. It hit him in the hands, as you said, Alex. It was a wide open run into the end zone for, to be able to get the two-point conversion and win the game right there, put it, put it into it. 12 seconds left, yeah. 
uh, you were far more likely to convert from two yards out than you were both to either a get a stop and then score or B, score a touchdown on your very next possession. You had a good play. They've been a very good fourth down in short yardage team all season long. thought it was the right call to go for two. And I love the fact that they are super aggressive in going forward in those situations in general. It fit their identity as a team. So I thought it was the right call. It didn't work out for them yesterday. And now the Ravens suddenly are in a very difficult situation for their seeding in the AFC. They're eight and four. The Patriots going into tonight's game are eight and four. The Titans are eight and four and the chiefs are eight and four all tied atop the AFC right now. Here's my question on the chiefs coming out of last night's game. Do you guys believe they can be a legitimate super bowl contender? If the best part of their team going into the postseason is the defense, because the offense is not fixed. It once again struggled last night. I know they ended up scoring a a decent number of points. They finished the game with 22, but seven of those came off of the pick six. It was 15 points for the offense. The defense has allowed 17 or fewer in five straight games. They're the only team in the NFL that can claim that this year. Alex, can they be a Super Bowl contender if their best part of their team is the defense and it continues playing like this? I think they can. I mean, if the best part of their team is their defense, that was the worst part of their team for the longest time. And Pat Mahomes is not the Pat Mahomes were used to. I think I saw on the broadcast last night, what is it? Five games that he has a 70 at home, five percent quarterback rating, five straight games at home of a 75 or lower quarterback. I mean, he's not himself right now. Uh, The the, the throws that he's making, he's missing his receivers. And I saw you tweet last night, BK, and I'm with you. Like his receivers haven't done him any justice. How many games has Tyree kill caused Pat Mahomes to have an interception? Um, But if their best part of the team is defense. Yeah. I think they can be Super Bowl contenders because even at their worst, Pat Mahomes, Tyree killed Travis Kelsey in that run game. They still can at least do some type of damage to have the defense win them a game. See, I don't think they can because the way New England's playing, I don't think that offense is going to be good enough to beat New England Patriots. I, I think that as good as their defense is playing, the Kansas City Chiefs are built on being a team that can win with their offense. And look, it's great the defense is playing this well. I think they can make a run, but I don't think they're Super Bowl contenders. I think if Mahomes doesn't get right and they can't get this figured out offensively, I don't think they're going to make it very far. I could see them get knocked out in the second round. I am actually more impressed by what the Chiefs defense has done in the last few weeks in some ways than I am by what the Patriots defense has done. And here's what I mean by that. I'm not... The Patriots has done it consistently all season long. Start out with that. But of late, here are the teams that they've gone up against. The the Titans without anybody offensively. They were without A.J. Brown, Derrick Henry, Julio Jones. The entire offense was um, out with injuries last week. The Atlanta Falcons, who can't score on anybody. The Cleveland Browns, who at the time were dealing with injuries of their own. The Carolina Panthers, who can't score on anybody. And then they allowed 24 points on the road at L.A., Before that, you go to the Jets, who, again, can't score on anybody. The Patriots defense has done it. They've performed at a high level. They just haven't done it against a whole lot of quality opponents. Tonight is a huge test to find out where the Patriots stand up relative to the rest of the AFC with their defense and also their offense being able to perform up to par. The Chiefs defense has done it against pretty good opponents. Dallas, uh, Denver had been playing better of late. Vegas, they even held the, the good version of Tennessee below 30 points. I have to give credit where it's due. The defense is legit. That being said, I'm with you, Tanner. They have to get more out of their offense. If their offense isn't better than this, they're not going to be able to win in the postseason. But the reason why I still remain having hope in this team, because I just refuse to believe that they're going to be this bad the rest of the year. 
They still have five more games before we get to the postseason. If the offense is able to get back on track, if Patrick Mahomes, Tyreek Hill, and Travis Kelsey play at an even above average level for them, which seems possible, they're three of the best players in the world. I think you're going to see them as a legit Super Bowl contender, and the offense will find a way to maybe not be great the way that it once was, but be good. And that defense, I think, is pretty legit. I think they're a pretty good defensive team right now. I don't think we're going to see the offense get back to being, let alone elite, but even great this year. I think it's just going to be good. And I don't know. I think if that's good, enough. I don't see. I don't know if that is going to be enough. It, it might be because the AFC is very wide. Yeah, open. I wouldn't consider the Patriots' offense to be good either. So I think right now, if you're if no. you have a good offense and a good defense, I think they would be the only team that fits into that category. I don't know that there's anybody else in the AFC that has both a good offense and defense. Maybe the Bills, but that changes based on the week. Yeah, I don't even know if I'd put the Bills in that one because you're right. They've had four games. If you have one or two games where it's bad, you can understand. But the Bills have had like four or five games where it's been sporadic, where they're good, they're bad, they're good, they're bad. The Patriots have been... They're the closest team. Yeah, the Patriots have always been good defensively, and frankly, the offense has never changed. The offense has always been okay. They can get the job done, but the defense wins them games. I think the thing for me is I can see Jones starting to kind of build some momentum and taking the next step. And look, I'm not saying he's better than Patrick Mahomes. Patrick Mahomes has kind of been the same all year. And that's not that's not saying he's going to be like this average quarterback for the rest of his career. I think what Chris Collinsworth said in the broadcast last night is this is just one of those learning years for Patrick Mahomes. For whatever reason, something has stumped him this year. This will be a learning year for him in this offense, and they'll be better next year. I just don't know if I can look at this Kansas City Chiefs team and say they are Super Bowl contenders. I think anybody can win this. Anybody I know AFC, anybody though. can win this, but I think maybe that's part of it, too, is I just can't really pinpoint anybody that I think is a Super Bowl contender. Let's also chill with the... Uh... Mac Jones versus Patrick Mahomes comparisons. What does it bother you? Uh, yeah, because I mean, even relative to Patrick Mahomes' regular career numbers, he's still been better this year than Mac Jones. So if we're going to talk about an offense that's lackluster, Mac Jones has been very good relative to most rookie quarterbacks. He ain't been better than Patrick Mahomes, even this year. If you look at the numbers, the only thing he's done better than Patrick Mahomes is not have tipped passes get intercepted. That's it. Patrick Mahomes this year, 25 touchdowns, 12 picks. Mac Jones this year, 16 touchdowns, 8 picks. Mahomes has a 57 QBR. Mac Jones has a 52 QBR. Mahomes should be more accurate. You're right. <laughs> With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks, I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up in 15 minutes, how does the Bills versus Patriots game play into the AFC hierarchy? We'll get into that coming up at the top of the hour. But coming up next, let's dive into the junk drawer here on 101 ESPN. Let's open it up. The junk drawer with BK and Ferrario. Junk drawer here on 101 ESPN. He's Alex Ferrario. That's Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. Uh, if you m- missed it, by the way, over the weekend, the Carolina Panthers decided there to fire their offensive coordinator, Joe Brady, who was previously considered to be one of the hot young rising coaches in the league. Earlier today, uh, it was announced by the team that that would end up still being the case, of course. And Panthers he's still coach, hot and young and no, he's rising? That, that he's definitely fired. Oh, okay. Panthers head coach Matt Rule moments ago st- said he, quote, stepped out of his comfort zone by hiring Joe Brady, somebody he didn't previously have a lot of history with and didn't have a similar system to. He said he, quote, doesn't view it as a mistake, but decided they need to make a change to score more points. A couple of times he mentioned wanting to run the football more often. What Guys, a jerk trying to run the football. 
Can you name the Carolina Panthers running backs at this moment in Christian time? Christian McCaffrey, Sam Darnold. The ones that are healthy. Right Cam now. Newton. He's like a running back. Can't throw the ball. Can you name the, the Carolina Panthers top uh, three running backs? Cuba Hubbard is one. That is one. Um, Royce Freeman. Let me not Google another? what their depth chart is. We'll and Amir Abdullah. Those are your running backs. And they're no, you're thinking of Devontae Freeman. Their fix for this offense is handing the ball to them more often than getting it to DJ Moore. Okay. Well, your quarterback can't sure, throw the damn ball well. right now, though. That's fair. Well, uh, it could if that you actually seem went, like a Joe Brady problem. It could if you went with the actual smart quarterback there, which might be a coaching problem. PJ Walker. PJ Walker's their number one guy. That is fair. Apparently, that was a Matt Rule decision. Alex, oh. what do you have for us today let's in the keep, junk drawer, let's my keep man? His job going. So, guys, it's uh, it's almost snow season, right? If you take a look outside, it's going to be snowing soon. I'm not getting the snow and vibes. Actually, I'm actually no. wearing shorts right now. We oh, got a snow blower as a. Uh, a wedding gift recently. <laughs> Very excited about it. Who the hell it. got you a snowblower? My aunt. It was <laughs> does, she know, does she know that it only snows here like maybe three times in a year? Yeah, it'll be great. And those you can three times? Use those three times? Hell and yeah. you can shovel it. And... I'm going to be the neighborhood hero. All my neighbors are going to get to know True. me. That's that, is, that is a fact. Like, hey, what's yeah, your maybe name? the neighbors with nine kids that climb on the roof. Nope. Maybe they could shovel some snow around the neighborhood. I don't get it. Anyway, with snow season right around the corner. I'll not share with you them. You always have that possibility of getting snowed in where you are at, right? Like, I remember. It not was, me. No, of course not, because you had your snow, <laughs> snow blower. That's right. I, I, was here, I was here two years ago. I'll drive it, it down. It was actually the first year yeah, I was thanks. here where I was doing a blues game, and, like, Tommy, our boss, told us, like, hey, you can go stay at this hotel if the snow gets bad, and I decided to go home like I was a crazy person. Well, the best place that you could get snowed in, boys, I found it. It's Ikea. Bar. Oh. Nope, Ikea. Oh, yeah, I saw this story. So there was a story. Apparently, customers and employees in Denmark had to spend the night in Ikea because of a bad snowstorm. And there were 31 people that had to sleep in the store. And that is why this is the best place to be snowed in. 31 people in an Ikea? No way. You'll know where they're home. at. Yep. Yeah. They got televisions there that you could sleep right. on. The beds probably feel like cardboard. They got good food at the front. Great. You can have some meatballs while you sleep. Ikea has food at the front? They got dude, Swedish you, meatballs, dude. You, honest, honest moment. You've never been to Ikea, have you? No. I've seen the big, <laughs> big sign, though. You've never been to Ikea? Why would I have had to have been to an Ikea before? Uh, because you own a freaking apartment right I now. I do now, but that's Don't. only it been happening for there. a while. I'm sorry. Yeah. Well, you lived in your grandparents' basement. Did you ever think of furnishing it yourself? No, it had furniture. Ikea's a great it. spot. That, w- once you go to Ikea the first time, that's the moment oh, that you, you, you The worst thing about adult. Ikea, though, is going home and trying to read the instructions to put things together where there's no words. It's literally just pictures. Does this bolt go in this way or does it go in this way? I don't oh, know, honey. Dude. Just throw it out. Look it up on YouTube. The the Office Depot office supplies that I purchased, I was woefully unprepared to put those together. I I'm put it together upside down. Part of me wishes part of me wishes I was stuck in an IKEA. I'd be that. fun. And just for life, right? Not even on a snow day. Just Whoa, why life. are you trying to get rid of me, man? I think I can name better Jesus. places than Ikea to be stuck. Six five seven eight oh is the air comfort service X line for the six three six problem, T Bone. I'm shocked. Does BK actually know how to use a snowblower? That's like kind of mechanical. Oh, if you think that I have any idea what I'm doing, if this guy open that thing, if this guy guy doesn't know the proper way to pick up leaves in his yard, you think he's going to know how to use a snowblower? (sighs) Dude, I, I'm never getting that seven hours back in my life ever. I think about that, that a lot. 
It's like, I did that for seven hours. You think about that a lot, man. You got other things to be thinking about right now. It makes you feel better. I can't, I don't know how I'm going to get the five minutes back. That took me to sweep the leaves off of my little If it makes deck. you feel better, I paid T-Bone $35 to come do mine. That's all it was? 35 Oh, dude, anytime. It's 50 cheap, bucks. man. 50 bucks, you can come rake my leaves anytime. Oh, by the my way, they're back. My gnome schedule. They're back. This is, the we've got a neighborhood well, of problem. They're back. There's, there's trees and leaves. We've, we've got a neighborhood problem. If I'm well, raking I know, my kids leaves, climb on the roof next door. <laughs> <laughs> that, that means you got to rake yours too. Because if your leaves are all sitting on your grass for the next three weeks, don't you have a there's fence? wind. Don't no, you have not a fence? for the front yard. Oh, there's wind that blows your leaves into my yard. And so now it looks as if I never even did anything. Wait, why don't you just let the wind do its natural course and blow them out of your yard? Because the wind doesn't blow that way, dude. Oh. The wind doesn't blow that way. Believe me, I keep hoping that the wind's going to blow in the one direction in my yard where there's a corner that grass is just completely dead on. It's and it'll never grow back. Infuriating. Nope. All blows to the other Absolutely side. Absolutely infuriating. I wish everybody could just see BK's facial expression when he did that. What? Use your snowblower. Your facial expression when he said, it's just infuriating. Why don't you use your snowblower <laughs> like a little, for the leaves? He looks like a little kid that was upset. I hate it so use much. Use your snowblower, man. For the leaves? Yeah. Do you think that would be good? Well, you, you could blow work? them with your snowblower. What do you think? It just works on snow? Oh, no. It's the one that it like. Does it scoop it up and like shoot it out? Yeah. Yeah. yeah I don't know so if that would work. suck the leaves and go snow the sucker, way. if you will. So you got a sucker, not a blower. Correct. That's an, that's an okay Prefer gift. Prefer it that way. That's an okay With gift. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks and I'm Brandon Kiley. Coming up next, yeah. which of these no, was the better play? Not. Which of these was the better call from the weekend? Lions final play or the Baylor final play? I'll explain that coming up next on 101 ESPN. They are St. Louis. It's BK and Ferrario live from the Car Shield Studio on 101 ESPN. on the final play or lose on the final play, you typically get a pretty good call from the home team's radio network. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kylie. We'll get into tonight's matchup between the Bills versus the Patriots, a game you'll hear right here on 101 ESPN momentarily and what that game means for the AFC. But Alex, over the weekend, we had two really great endings in college football and in the NFL. Baylor winning on the final play. I don't know if you guys were watching that game live, but so freaking close to losing it. One inch line. So close. That was intense. Oklahoma State damn near won the game to potentially put them into the college football playoff or at least keep that opportunity open for them. So that was a big one. And then yesterday in the NFL game, we already talked about the Vikings losing on what was basically the final play uh, against Detroit or was the final play against Detroit. Also a fantastic ending. I wanted to get your guys' thoughts on which of these two calls by the home broadcast was better. All right, so I'll give you the two options. You tell me which one's better. Let's start out with the Baylor radio network on the final play of the game as Baylor holds Oklahoma State one, one inch really away from the goal line. Hand up, running left, trying to get to the corner. He didn't get he didn't there. Get he didn't he get, get there. He didn't get it. He stopped short. He has stopped short of the goal line. Bears hold the Cowboys out of the end zone. Baylor's going to take over. So that's the first one. I love the color the play guy. play-by-play like, guy wasn't even the best part. The color guy five seconds in. Oh, oh my God. He took his headphones <laughs> off and he started running around the at, broadcast at booth. I thought I heard him like fading out in the background because he, he was running. He's he running. Can we hear that again? You can hear like midway through where he just like sprints away. Clearly. He did not get there. He stopped short. He has stopped short of the goal line. He's gone. I don't know where he went, but he's off the broadcast booth. All right, so that was the Baylor final 
final call. Here's the other one. I will uh, spoiler alert. This is my favorite from the weekend as the Lions get their first win of the season against the Vikings. First victory of the year on the line. Goff's got it. Back, looks, throws, and yes! caught. Touchdown, Detroit Lions. They did it. Armin Ross St. Brown in the receiving end. Oh, they're rushing the field. They've done it. Three zeros on the clock. This game is over. It's over. Jared Goff to Amon Ross St. Brown, his first career touchdown. And how big is that? Oh, my goodness. No this way. squeaks for their first win of the season. It's week 12, man. <laughs> it's, it's week 12, and they were able to get a victory, and it sounded as if they had just won the Super Bowl. All right, between those two calls, which one would you say takes home the gold and which one takes the silver from the week? Baylor takes home the gold. Really? I agree. Yeah. Really? And, and it's because all because of the, of the color. Yeah. Off the headset? Yeah. I, because I, I can picture what he is doing in my head, and frankly, that is just way too funny. Thinking of this big man just running around in the broadcast booth screaming, they didn't get in, they didn't get Get in. Plus, I can't get all. I love the call from the Detroit radio side, but I just can't be all that excited like he was for them winning their first game <laughs> since like week 15 of 2020. Also, very true. That's the best part of it is the absurdity of it all. The idea that this was a celebration in Detroit because they won literally their first game of the year and it is week 13 of the NFL season. It was their 12th game so far that they've played. I think, if I'm not mistaken either, that was the first win Jared Goff has gotten with the oh, head coach God. not named Sean McVay. He never won a start with Jeff Fisher, Yeah, and he hadn't won since in Detroit. So that was his first win. Think of that. First win without a head coach named not named Sean McVay. It was their first victory in 364 days Ooh. for the Lions. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> All right. So for tonight's game between the Patriots and the Bills, this is a big one, boys. The Bills are a three-point home, uh, home favorite in this one. The over-under set at 41. So Vegas is not expecting a whole lot of scoring. The weather is expected to be just awful from start to finish. How does this impact the way that you view the AFC? Because right now, every division leader is at 8-4. and four. The Patriots, the Ravens, the Titans, and the Chiefs, all at 8-4 and four currently. How much will this play into the way that you view the Patriots and the Bills relative to the rest of the conference? I think it plays more into the Bills than the Patriots, in my opinion, because I think if the Bills can pull out a Even victory. Even if the Patriots lose? Yeah, because I still think the Patriots are a really good team. To me, it would tell me more about the Buffalo Bills because my biggest question on them is their offense. It's so sporadic, and if you're going up against, I think we all can agree, the best defense right now in the National Football League, if you pull out a victory against that, I changed my opinion a little bit on the Buffalo Bills. If the Patriots lose, I, I don't know, for some odd reason, I still look at them as one as the best team in the AFC because I think the Buffalo Bills needed more. See, I, I'm kind of the opposite. I think if New England loses, I mean, it just reaffirms to me that there's legitimately anybody that could win the AFC. I think if New England can win this game, I, I think they're clearly the favorites to come out of the AFC because they would be uh, three losses still, right, if I'm not mistaken. And then you look at them, and they just beat Buffalo. They're on this winning streak. They get Buffalo one more time. They don't really have – I guess they do have – no, I don't think they have a bad loss on their schedule that I can think of off the top of my head. New England? Yeah. No, their, their losses are – I mean, week one against the Dolphins at the time looked really bad, but now the Dolphins are playing much better football. Their, their other losses this year are the Saints and the Bucks and the Cowboys. Those are yeah. all pretty good. So those aren't bad losses. So if they can win this one, to me, it reaffirms to me that they are the best team in the AFC and probably should be viewed as the favorites. They lose, then it's just another crapshoot because I don't know what I'm expecting from Buffalo. 
Kansas City, we just talked about, the offense seems to hold them back at times. And then Baltimore, Baltimore is kind of the same way. I I like that Baltimore roster, but they just haven't been able to piece it together yet this year. It's interesting because I think that the Bills have more to gain. I think the Bills have more to lose in this one. Like, if they end up losing this game, I don't know how anybody can look at the Bills after this one as a legit Super Bowl contender. In the last, what, six weeks now, they would have lost against the Titans when the Titans were still the the quality opponent that we all knew them to be at the time. Lost against the Jags on the road. Lost, just got destroyed by the the Indianapolis Colts. And their wins in this stretch came against the Dolphins, the Jets, and the Saints, who no longer have the same guys that we had that we watched with them earlier on in the season. Next week, they go down to Tampa to play against the Buccaneers. That ain't going to be easy on a short week going down to Tampa to play against Tom Brady and the Bucs. Good luck with that one. They've still got another one on the road against the Patriots. The Bills might have a tough time making the playoffs, much less being a legit Super Bowl contender if they lose this game against the Patriots. So they have more to lose for me. And the Patriots have a ton, in my opinion, to gain. If the Patriots are able to beat the Bills on the road tonight, it will certify them as the number one team in the AFC, in my mind. Yeah. Like, I, I think they're already, you can make a legit argument that they're there already. If they beat the Bills on the road in a game like this, where we've all viewed the Bills as a legit contender this year, even if you don't view them as a Super Bowl contender, a playoff contender for sure, uh, th- that will be a huge win for them and one that I think establishes them as the team to beat in the conference until something changes otherwise. Yeah. So I think the Patriots have a ton to gain. The Bills have a lot to lose. The thing that I am curious about, though, is if the Bills win, I, I don't know how much it changes for me. I'm like if you. it's a close loss for the Patriots... I think I still basically view them the way that I view them right now. Both of those teams. Really good teams, either of which could come out of the AFC, and it wouldn't be a shock. But I, I think that's that's probably the the one thing that if it happens, I I really wouldn't change my point of view on either of them all I that think, much. But see, for me, if, especially after what we just saw with the Ravens losing to Pittsburgh, if Buffalo's able to beat this team, even if it's a close game, I'm going to look at Buffalo as, as a top three, four team in the AFC rather than what we have view them that way though. Right now. Right. I I think before, I think before this week, I didn't, I think before this week I had Baltimore as probably the third or fourth team in the AFC. So let's do this real quick. How would you stack up the AFC currently? Because I think there's for me two. I think it's the Patriots as the number one. That's how I'd go. I would have the chiefs number two in that second tier, maybe honestly by themselves. And I think the third team, and this is where it gets really tough. I think there's like seven teams that are contending for it. I think the Bills are in that category. The Ravens, the Bengals, the Colts, and the Chargers for me. All five of those teams I think are basically the same. So if you wanted to put any of them in three, four, five, six, seven, however you want to stretch that out, I would be able to listen to that argument. But I think that's that next tier in the NFL behind the Patriots and the Chiefs right See, now. Before this game last night against the Steelers, Ravens were number three for me. And then it was everyone else fighting for four. If Buffalo's able to win this versus New England and the Ravens lose to Pittsburgh in the way that they did, I look at Buffalo the way I viewed Baltimore as the third team. Whereas but, if the Patriots win, it doesn't change anything. You're still number one to me. It, but it, if that were the case, Alex, would you still like if next week the Bills played the Ravens in Baltimore? It wouldn't surprise you if Baltimore won that game, right? 
I, th- I think I view them basically as the same as what I'm saying. Yeah, I would view whoever's I mean, at home as like a you, two and a half, three point favorite. You in are that right. Because every every game, pretty much the rest of the season, I look at with all of these teams in the AFC three down saying anybody could win that one. It's a crapshoot, even with Kansas City. I mean, I'd throw Kansas City in there. It's like, I don't know if they're going to win this one. So, yeah, I, I mean, essentially you're right. But I, for some reason, Buffalo's just a team that strikes me like they know what it means when you get closer to the playoffs and they'll start playing that, that way. And that's why if they're able to pull out a victory against new England, they seem to be a little bit more dangerous of a team. Yeah. I, I just don't know if I can buy in still because they they just haven't played good football consistently enough for me. And I get it. A lot of these teams are just kind of average. I think I would go Patriots one. I think I'm with you BK. I'd probably put the chiefs too, because I, the defense is playing better three for me. I think, Tennessee maybe for Baltimore. You'd put Tennessee even with the injuries. Yeah, the Tennessee I, right thing. now. I, just, I can't. I, I buy into them. Just I just cannot buy into Josh Allen and the Bills because I mean. But you can buy into Tennessee with loss. Ryan Tannehill with but no I, receivers and yeah. no running backs. That's the tough part. Like the, the the team that I watched earlier in the season, I'm totally with you. That Titans team, I would have number one right now. But they're just not that team anymore, unfortunately. Yeah. If they can get back to that, I'd probably put Tennessee at number two. Yeah, but. I, I, if I don't know that Brown, Jones, and um, Henry Henry are going to be back, I, then and then I think I think I'm with you. Then is it? How about that? There's Three clearly guys with a first names as last names. That's there's crazy. clearly a one two, and then there's just kind of everybody Brown? else. Who do you know that's named Brown? Brown and Crouppen. <laughs> okay, with Alex Froher and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon <laughs> Kylie. That's the last name, man. Coming are you up sure? In 15 minutes. What's gone wrong for Brown the Blues Crouppen. in the last month? How do they correct it moving forward? We'll talk about that coming up at 1:30. But next, six five seven eight zero is the Air Comfort Service tax line for in or out here on 101 ESPN. Come on, man. Are you in or are you out? It's in or out with BK and Ferrario. BK's gone for a week and a half wedding. That's how it's celebrating. It was really excited, wasn't it? 65780 is the air comfort service sex slide for in or out. In or out, we're still on the air when I return from out. my wedding. What do you mean we're still on the air? Out. We're done. Yeah, out. It'll be Tanner and Hendrickson. Or Tanner and Hendrickson. Hendrickson. What? <laughs> wow. Do I have to like, talk to myself? Whoops, so, somebody's... Hendrickson, what do you think about the Cardinals move? <laughs> well, you know, Tanner, I think it's actually a great move. Well, yeah, I'd I do listen too, to Hendrickson. radio. It's like what goes on my head 24-7. What I meant to say was Ferrario and Hendrickson, but it came out as Alex and Hendrickson. We'll be on the show still. I'm taking vacation. See you. Deuces. Yeah. yeah. I'm out. By the way, February during the Olympics, I'm out three weeks. Dude, I'm out for a week too. <laughs> T-Bone! <laughs> Way to go! Hey! Let's go, T-Bone! It'll be great. I'm not out, actually out for a full week. No, you're not allowed to take any more vacations. Mike Ryder said so. No more vacations once you're back. I know. 65780 is the air comfort service X line for in or out. All right, guys, in or out, the Blues will go through the same downward spiral that they did a year ago now that they're dealing with the same kind of injuries that they had at the start of last season. Uh, I'm out on that because uh, I still go back to this team at the first five games of the season, and I looked at that team and I said, man, this is – we we couldn't find anything wrong with that team to talk about for how solid that they were playing. And that was the last time that they were at full health with the exception of no Oscar Sundquist. So uh, I'm out on this because I think when you get this team 
when you get this forward group back to what they are, and what's going to be interesting is when Costin and Neal are available, what happens with Logan Brown? Because I, I don't know if he deserves to go back to the minors right now. Defense, I think when you can get Justin Falk back and when you can figure out what Mikola is, if he's able to play with uh, Pareko, I mean, you might be looking at a, a six defenseman of Pareko, Mikola, Krug, Falk, Perunovic, Bortuzzo. Scandella being the seventh guy. So I'm out on this. I think they can get back to form. I don't think this is going to be a full season down spiral. Yeah, I think I'm out on this as well. And I, I look at the Blues and they're not playing well, but they're still getting points. I think you mentioned was it was four of the last five games they've gotten points. Mm-hmm. So they are struggling, but they're still managing to get points. That's why I don't think they're going to take this down spiral. They seem to be able to play great enough hockey to get at least to overtime and get the points. Maybe they don't muster out that second point, but I, I'm out on this. I think this team... I can't believe I'm saying this, but they had it happen last year, so they kind of know what to expect, which is kind of a weird thing to say. For what it's worth, they did the same thing last year where they were getting accumulating all of those points. Remember that stretch where it was like they lost in overtime against L.A. They won in overtime against L.A. Then they lost in overtime the next two games, and then, boom, the bottom fell out. They lost to 1-1 in, uh, in a shootout. And then lost like their next seven games against Anaheim, Colorado, and Vegas. You know what the difference is between that season and this season, though? Forwards. You didn't have goal production beyond O'Reilly and Perron. I mean, haven't really got much five on five production now. Well, they are. It's coming from two guys in Brandon Saad and Pavel Buchnevich. It's the same thing, though. You know, I like, I I think they are better. They didn't have secondary guys. Now they have secondary guys. They should. Personnel-wise, they are in a much better situation this year than they were at this time last year. My concern is the back end is very similar to what it was at at this point last year. But I also think, and this is going to be the interesting part, because how do you maneuver with all the salary cap situation? But I don't believe that this is the group we'll see towards the end of the season, because I, I think it's very noticeable that that is the biggest weakness of this Blues team. And Doug Armstrong has shown time in and time out that when he sees a weakness, he fixes it. So what's weird is I'm actually not worried about the Blues once they get healthy. I think this team's fine. They, they, they'll be all right. My concern is what does it look like over the next two to three weeks while they're not healthy? Because if you get yourself into such a hole that it's difficult to dig yourself out, that's when like the season can just be lost. You can't win the division in December, but you can absolutely lose it. And that that's what happened last year is around this time. I I mentioned this earlier. They started last season seven, two and one. They went they were at 14, eight and two uh, once they got to this point in the season. And then the downward spiral began right thereafter. This year, they started the year seven and two and one. Same same record after 10 games as a year ago. 12, eight and four right now. Basically the same record. But in two of those overtimes, you lost instead of one. And now it's a matter of can you prevent what happened in that downward spiral last year? My hope is yes, but I don't have a whole lot to cling on to that would suggest that that will be the case. And it's all injury and COVID related. It's not because I think this team stinks. I think they'll be fine once they get healthy. It's kind of like it's comparing apples to oranges a little bit, but like the Cardinals. I mean, they hit the injuries and it cost them the division. It almost cost them a playoff. It took them being healthy and going on a 17 game run to make uh, make the playoffs. So th- there's kind of a similar comparison that we're seeing in terms of the Cardinals to the Blues. And I understand what you guys are saying. They're going to be 5-100% healthy. I still think they need to make that top four defenseman move, and I expect Army to do it too. I predict this team has always been a second-half team. I predict this team, now that it's an 82-game schedule, probably around mid-January is where you're going to see full health to where guys are not just on the ice but back to form. And I would imagine you 
pre-Olympics, post-Olympics, that's where you're going to see some type of run for this team. 65780 is the air comfort service tax line for in or out. Guys with the Miami Hurricanes hiring Mario Cristobal to a 10-year contract, the former Oregon head football coach, they will be ranked within the top 10 at some point in the next three years. Miami will be back to being a top 10 program in the next three years with Mario Cristobal as their new head coach. Am I supposed to be excited about Mario Cristobal? He's a good coach. $30 million good coach? I mean, more than that. 10 years, I think $80 million. Oh, was it? I thought you had said 30. Maybe I'm thinking of somebody else. Um, I'm in on this. I think you have to get the right head coach there to continue to improve recruitment. And for some reason, they haven't. Like, I don't know how it would be difficult to recruit players to Miami. Like, I just don't understand how that is difficult. Like USC. He wasn't very good at it. Well, that's what I'm talking about. It's obviously something on the coach there and his inability to recruit. So I I don't know much about this crystal ball. But, I mean, if you know how to recruit, I can see Miami being back into the top 10. So, yeah, I'll I'll say I'm... uh, I'll say I'm in on this. Was he the one who took over for Chip Kelly when he left? No. Who was before um, him? Who was Oregon's coach before him? Because I remember them taking a little bit of a drop-off after Kelly. Didn't they hire their offensive coordinator? I can't remember what the guy's Maybe name was, was, but I think it was their offensive coordinator that they hired, and it, like you said, went Mark Helfrich. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I, I'll i be in on this. I, he was able to restore Oregon, which is one of these kind of, I don't know if you consider him blue, but one of the top Power 5 teams. I think he can do that again heading to Miami. It's his, I don't think, it's not his alma mater, is it? Oh, okay, it is his alma mater. I know he coached there for a while. So I I think that he's going to be able to do it. He seems to have a good idea of what it's going to take to recruit to get to an elite level like he's done at Oregon. So, yeah, I have no reason to believe he won't be able to do it. I think Miami is one of, like, the five to seven best jobs in the country. Like, I I think it's that good. If they're willing to spend, and they are right now, you, you literally don't even have to leave the city to be able to recruit a top 25 class, maybe a top 10 class on most years. So I'm in on this. I think they're going to be back to being a top 10 program. The other thing is like in the ACC, that's not all that difficult. If you can, it it should be Miami and Clemson. That should be what the top of that conference is on most years or for most years. In the Pac-12, it should be USC and Oregon most years. In the SEC, it should be Alabama and Georgia most years. So it makes all the sense in the world that he would want to go back to Miami. That's where he's from. That's where he started his career. That's where he went to college. Like it, it makes all the sense in the world. Now it's about him being able to recruit at the level that we know that program is capable of. And I think they will be back to being a top 10 program with Mario Cristobal. I think he's a little overrated as a coach. I think he's solid. I don't think he's great. He is a really good recruiter. So I think they're going to get enough talent there that it doesn't really all that matter all that much if he is a great coach or not. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for in or out. Guys, in or out, Robert Thomas will uh, drop in production as a result of all of these injuries, and this will be the best stretch that we see from him all year. I'm out on this. His best stretch in all year, you're, he's been playing injured. Like... He, I mean, he's been playing banged up enough to where they said, we got to give this guy some time off, and he's still been producing. Robert Thomas, he's a different specimen right now than what he was last season and two years ago. And Craig Berube on the fast lane last week, I thought he painted the perfect picture. He said the reason he's so good right now is his creativity and inability to be moved off of the puck. He can find the open slots. 
I don't know if you're going to see a lot of goals from Robert Thomas, but I, I don't think this is the worst stretch of hockey work or that was the best stretch of hockey from him. I still think we're going to see a guy who gets close to 50, if not 50 assists this season. So I'm out. I think I'm with you. I think I'm out. I was just looking at his last 10 games. He's got seven points in the last 10. Yeah. I don't know how long that's he's injured. been injured, but if long that's him injured, they have amazing. to just send him out. Yeah, so I, I think I'm out on this. I, he's going to continue to play well, and if he's healthy, it makes me wonder if he's just going to be even better. So, Yeah, he, he's, he's having an outstanding season. There's no reason to believe that this is some sort of a fluke. It's been sustained for the first portion of the season, and we all knew that he had this in him, so I'm out on this as well. I don't think this is going to be the best that we see of him. I think we see him look even better later on. Hey, Texter, just glass half full, man. Hey, join Chris Kerber this Saturday from 1 to 3 o'clock for the release party of Curbside Select at Randall's Wine and Spirits. It's located at 14201 Manchester Road in West County. Alex was supposed to tell you about this. I messed this read all up. Randall's <laughs> and Curbs have teamed up with Buffalo Trace for a special single barrel release. All bottles of Curbside Select will be released this Saturday starting at 1 o'clock. You can find more details on this Saturday's Curbside select release event with Chris Kerber, Buffalo Trace, and Randall's Wines and Spirits now at 101ESPN.com. And tomorrow, Alex will tell you more about it. Don't worry, buddy. We'll get this locked down on Wednesday. Coming up in 15 minutes, we're going to cross things over with the fast lane. But next, is Jake DeBrusque worthy of a look for the Blues? Sounds like he's probably available. Could they make this happen? We'll talk about it next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to more of it. It's BK and Ferrario live from the Car Shield Studio on 101 ESPN. So we talked a lot over the offseason about a gentleman by the name of Jake DeBrusque. You may know him as the left winger for the Boston Bruins, former 14th overall pick in the 2015 draft. He is a former 25 goal scorer for the Boston Bruins. But Alex, things have not gone well for Mr. DeBrusque over the last couple of seasons. Last year in the pandemic year, finished the year with just 14 points on the season. This year, he has seven points in the first 20 games. So it's been eh, more of the same for him with Boston and with Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. Alex, it sounds like Boston would love to get off of his salary. $3.7 million is what he makes this season. It's the final year of his two-year bridge deal, and they're looking for a trade partner for him. Over on The Athletic, they were looking for, okay, who are the teams that make the most sense in, in a deal for Jake DeBrusque? And they couldn't find a whole lot of great fits in terms of what the Bruins could get back. They did identify the Blues, though, as a team that might be a pretty good fit. They said, quote, I can't really find a good fit that would come back for DeBrusque in St. Louis unless it's someone like Oscar Sundquist going the other way. In some ways, the best fit might have been Zach Sanford, but he was traded by the Blues to Ottawa back in September, end quote. That was according to The Athletic. Alex, is there any interest in your mind for a guy like Jake DeBrusque, especially right now with the Blues having so many injuries and COVID issues that they're dealing with? No, not at all, Um, because you're bringing in a guy who might need to change the scenery. Could he be a 20-goal scorer again? Sure, maybe, but he just – you don't want to take another project on this team right now. And I think that the way that your forward group is set up, uh, there's no no need to change it. And frankly – 
look at the cap problems they're having right now. You want to bring in another guy who's making nearly $4 million who maybe could score you 20 goals. He's coming over to play a fourth line role. And I don't know if he matches a fourth line role. Obviously his frustration in Boston has been not being in their top six because they spent money on Taylor Hall and didn't give him that opportunity. By the way, we're getting a lot of texts. No way they trade Sonny for Dabrowski. Of course, they're not going to. That was just the name that they brought yeah. up over on the athletic. I'm guessing that was money for money, the, the way that it would work. Well, and even then, yeah, you're looking at a million up. different. But yeah, yeah, look, that's just the name that they put out there to try and kind of connect things. Do you trade? Here, here's where you go with this. Would you trade Vladimir Tarasenko for Jake DeBrusque? Me saying hell no, because if you're going to trade him, one, I'm waiting to make sure that I get the best option on that. And two, I'm not trading him unless I'm getting something back that's my problem and it's on the defensive side. Could you trade Marco Scandella for him? Absolutely you could. But again, you're adding a guy who's making $4 million to play a third or fourth line role for you, and you're taking away people don't like him right now, but you're taking away a defenseman who at least eats minutes. Yeah, and look, you take him out, you're basically putting Jake Wallman in a top four role, and I don't know if people are ready for that. So as much as Jake DeBrusque would look good look good in this Blues team because he is a power play option, uh, he is a very gifted forward. I just don't think he matches this team right now. You traded for Logan Brown, and that kind of took you out of these sweepstakes, in my opinion. If you were going to make this deal, it would have been the kind of deal that you made for Logan Brown. And Logan Brown has fit in well with what you need out of that fourth line. I think he's a better fit yeah. for what the Blues need. I, I'm not saying that he's a better player than Jake DeBrusque. I, I think as of right now, you would certainly say the more proven player out of the two is Jake DeBrusque. He's just done more in the in the NHL than, than Brown has, but... Yeah, but if I'm going to take on a project, I'm going to take on a Logan Brown project at 750000 and a $4 million guy who ha- basically he's kind of going through, well, it's not the same thing as Vladimir Tarasenko because Tarasenko was upset with the medical staff and DeBrusque is upset because of the way they've used him. But I don't want to bring a guy over who wants to be a goal scorer on another team and put him in a four-checking third-line role. That feels more like the Robbie Fabry situation to it's me. Exactly like what, that, that's a great point. Guy that might not necessarily fit perfectly with what they do schematically, and he did have some success early on, and then it just it's clear that it's probably needing to go its separate ways. And yeah. it worked out well for Robbie Fabry. He ended up uh, putting together a pretty good season for Detroit back in 2019-20. Last year was fine, and this year he's been pretty solid for him overall in terms of his goal scoring production so I wouldn't be surprised if like you said DeBrus goes on to his next team and has a decent amount of success I would just be very surprised if that next team is here in St. Louis yeah. I don't know that the fit is very clear for him here with Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson I'm Brandon Kylie. Blues back in action tomorrow night against the Panthers they're likely going to be without Robert Thomas earlier today if you missed it Craig Berube saying that uh, Robert Thomas has been dealing with a lower body injury for a little while now and now there's no choice but for him to take some rest so Robert Thomas likely going to miss tomorrow night's game against the Panthers. We'll have more coverage for you on that over the next couple of days. Coming up next, we'll cross things over with the fast lane on 101 ESPN. Time now for the crossover on 101 ESPN. season and join into the holiday spirit by donating to this year's character and smallman 12 days of t-shirts fundraiser it supports operation food search 
If you donate at least $25 online between now and December the 13th, so next Monday, you'll receive a complimentary 101 ESPN t-shirt, koozie, and sticker as a gift for your donation. Huge thanks to our presenting sponsors of this year's 12 Days of T-Shirts campaign, American Standard Heating and Cooling Contractors, and McBride Homes. And a special thank you to American Standard Heating and Cooling Contractors for making a donation match of $500 to the 12 Days of t-shirts fundraiser find all the details right now at 101 espn.com time to cross things over with the fast lane and we got anthony stalter in studio stalts what's good man man it's a good weekend how about you guys doing well what'd you think of the college football weekend i thought it was exciting i really i really did i thought it was a good group of games i mean that it's so funny watching oklahoma and baylor first on the in that Big 12 championship, and then, you know, you get into the SEC championship. You're like, oh, this is how it's supposed to look. Like, not <laughs> taking anything away from Baylor, but OK State was on the goal line, not just at the end of the game. They were, they were there throughout the course the course of the game, including twice in the second half, and you're just you, – your your offensive line got its ass kicked the entire yep. game, and you think you're going to push forward for, for a yard, and they just kept running up the middle, up the middle. No motion, no nothing, and then they get stopped at the goal line. It's like, what a stand by Baylor, and it was – but why? I mean, what are we doing at the goal line? And then the SEC championship game was great, and it, it's uh, it's it's obvious when you have an elite quarterback and when you don't. And I thought that was the biggest takeaway from Bama and Georgia. I don't know if you heard earlier, Stoltz, but our guy T Bone over here thought Baylor should be in the football playoffs instead of uh, uh, Georgia. Out. You just mentioned no league quarterback. Is he Georgia, get him out of here. Okay, Tanner. <laughs> <laughs> he texted That's me that on take. Saturday, and I was like, That's a no. hot take. Are you, I, I saw multiple people that were arguing in favor of Notre Dame over Georgia, and I was like, There no. was a lot of people are, that were saying it. What are we doing here? You. No quality wins from Georgia. What Notre did Dame Notre beat Dame Wisconsin? They beat Wisconsin. Wisconsin would have been like the third best win on Georgia's schedule. Look, uh, you're just a Notre Dame hater. Uh, no, I just... I, Look, if Notre Dame absurd. had Brian Kelly, they would have been in. But because he decided to go elsewhere, that's why. Oh, the, stop it. Stinking committee. The notion that Notre Dame deserved it over Georgia is just no. ridiculous. If that game had been played, if Georgia-Alabama had been played in September instead of yet, or Saturday, the day before they put out the rankings, none of us would have been saying That's that. why none Twitter is yeah. such a great place, guys, because it has <laughs> such great opinions of, of the Georgia shouldn't be in. You, you, couldn't, you couldn't make the argument Notre Dame should be in over Cincinnati had Cincinnati no. lost because Cincinnati beat them. Cincinnati beat him in South Bend earlier this you year. You also make an, a really important argument there, Stoltz, about the the quality quarterback. Georgia has had so many chances over the last few years to have that guy. Mm-hmm. Justin Fields was there, and they decided to go with Jake Fromm over him. They chose the wrong guy there. Uh, they've got JT Daniels on their team right now who, say what you will about him, the upside is way higher than what they get out of Stetson Bennett. I I think Kirby Smart is a very good coach, a very good coach, and he recruits at an unbelievably high level, the best in the country right now, even better than Bama. But his decisions at the quarterback position have been his fatal flaw so far in his tenure down there at Georgia. If they don't start making the higher upside plays at that position, yeah, teams like Alabama or when you go up against these teams that have the elite of the elite at quarterback, that's what's going to end up getting them in the end. And that's what it's all about for Georgia right now is when we get to the college football playoff, what do we look like compared to the top five teams in the country? And what you're talking about is Kirby Smart needing to evolve. You know, Nick Saban, we we just we talk about Nick Saban all the time, and and he is one of the, the best, if not the greatest coaches in any sport of all time, but he evolved. This is a defensive minded guy that went from what George is doing now, which is just pound, 
play good defense, win every game 20, you know, 20 to 13 to we have to spread it out. I'm behind the times. And that's exactly what Saban did. And let's not forget that Nick Saban did pull the trigger in a national championship game to bench his quarterback, the same guy that won a national championship the year before for him, and go with Tua Tungavaloa and wound up winning it against Georgia. Did the same thing a year later in the SEC championship game. He benched Tua, went back to Jalen Jalen Hurts in the in the SEC title game and won. Is Kirby Smart ready to evolve by going to another quarterback just like Saban did? Saban went from guys like. Blake Sims, I think was his yeah. name, and he AJ McCarron. Coker. Yeah. Maybe it was Coker that won and not and not Jalen Hurts. Yeah. And then they, they went Hertz from lost. Did Hurts lose to Clemson? I think he did. Hurts was I believe so. Yeah. And then the next year they had uh Tua come in. Okay, so Jay Coker was the one that won the twenty sixteen champions. You go from those Elite guys to what they have now, and even Hurts is much better, more more dynamic, certainly, than any of those options that they had previously. Now you look at what they're doing with Tua, and with right. um, I mean, it, it's just a different category of quarterback that they're playing with. Stoltz, what's coming up today on the Fast Lane now? Well, we're going to talk about Robert Thomas, now losing him, the impact there with the Blues. A lot of takeaways from yesterday, including the Ravens' decision to go for two. They come up empty. We'll discuss that. We've got Dan McLaughlin coming up as well, so a lot to uh, break down in all, all, all phases. That's coming up uh, from 2 to 6. We will be back tomorrow for my final show for the next couple of weeks at 11 right here on 101 ESPN. So you got a sucker, not a blower. Correct. That's an an okay gift. Prefer it that way.